Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, and a very good morning across uh, South Texas, the Hill Country, wherever you happen to be listening. And uh, on the Internet, well, who knows where you are, but I tell you, in our part of the world, it is another beautiful late spring morning and uh, very comfortably cool out there this uh, Memorial Day weekend. It's, golly, just going to be beautiful weather to get out and enjoy, get some stuff done in the garden, hopefully get some relaxing in. That's what we're here to talk about for the next three and a half hours. You know the number, 210-599-5555. I call this the Smart People's Half Hour. Anybody that's up early, if you have a question, may take a little bit more time to answer. We can spend a little bit more time getting into some of the many different subjects. Or if you just want to get your question uh, asked and get on your way this busy weekend, uh, you know the number, 210-599-5555. It looks like like Mary and Susan are going to be our first two callers, but that leaves a couple of lines open and, gosh, so much to talk about, but most important thing to me is what is on your mind. So, uh, Jimmy, why don't we just get started with phone calls early? Mary's first in line. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm the Florida Mary. Yes, ma'am. And I'm having trouble with my son patients and the fungus. And I know you mentioned the difference between uh, Vinca and impatience one, but do we still use cornmeal? Yes, cornmeal. Cornmeal isn't the magic. It's a beneficial fungus called trichoderma, which grows on the cornmeal, and it will take care of everything from toenail fungus to athlete's foot to ringworm to just about anything that could hit plants. Uh, so, yes, uh, I. it's just gotten to be, with me, a standard that whenever I get ready to plant flower beds, whether it's flowers or vegetables, I'll dust it pretty heavily with cornmeal first, and uh, things that are especially susceptible at the time I plant them, I'll throw a little bit more on the soil. After things are up and growing, if problems start to develop, I'll just soak some whole ground cornmeal in water and use that to either drench or spray the plants. And it works pretty much across the board on most all fungal problems. Now, there are a few bacterial problems out there that Uh, I don't think that's what's going to bother the sun patients, but uh, there are some bacterial things, in which case we usually make a direct application of cinnamon uh, to the plants that seem to be affected. But most fungal problems, the trichoderma uh, that grows on the cornmeal will certainly knock them out. Yeah, it just seems like right at the base of the plant, you know, it just gets that white moldy looking oh yeah and it just rots then, off right at ground level and it just but same rots right off right yeah it just rots yeah off. same same thing yeah. begonias do um a yeah. couple of other things that are going to help with any kind of fungal issue regardless of what the plants are is if possible when you're watering 
just lay the hose on the ground. Try not to water from overhead. That really yeah. encourages a lot of different things. Are, are these in flower beds or are they in pots? Pots, yeah. Okay. Pots. Yeah, I I would make it a point to, you know, at this point, I'd probably dust the soil around the base of them pretty heavily with cornmeal, and then next time they need water, I'd make up some of what we call the corn water tea, just cornmeal soaked in water, make up some of that, and use it to water the plants next time they need water, and it should go a long way toward controlling the problem. Okay, now, so how much cornmeal would I put in a, a bucket of water, let's say? You know, if you had a if you had a five gallon bucket, you'd put a cup or two. Okay, okay, very good. Yeah, I haven't done that, so that's a good idea. And then you can just keep that. I mean, that can just sit in the garage a while until it's time to water again. Uh not too long, or it'll get kind of smelly. <laughs> it, uh, okay. Yeah, it it. Well, we don't want to make any of the old corn mash whiskey or anything like that. In fact, when we're <laughs> baiting a trap for wild hogs, that's what we usually do is. Let it sit for two or three days, and it becomes pretty aromatic, shall we say? So, oh, I yeah, I, I would <laughs> I would make right. up uh, more than you need, or you may be thinking something died in your garage and you can't find it. So, uh, try try to make it uh, you know give it about twenty four hours at least, or overnight at least to soak. But yeah, don't don't try to save it too long, or you'll. Uh, You'll be in the moonshine business, uh, <laughs> like it or not. Okay. All right. Well, you know, and then I have something else here that I'm not sure I can even tell you what it is. It was quite some time ago, and you and Howard were talking about putting something around uh, trees, and it was dwarf orgando pond, something like that, and I don't know what that is. Probably dwarf mondo, M-O-N-D-O, dwarf mondo grass. Oh, my. Um, oh, you know what? Okay. What we commonly call monkey grass, but there is a wonderful dwarf form of it. Ophiopogon is what it is botanically. Uh, there's a dwarf form that doesn't grow, but about two inches tall. Gets incredibly thick and dense. Has virtually no problems. It'll grow in the shade extremely well. If you uh, if you plant it in the sun, it needs to be in pretty good soil, but. You guys have a magical sun somehow in Florida. You guys can grow things in bright sun that would burn up here. I mean, I've flown through Miami a number of times, and you see, you know, beds of impatience, regular impatience out in the full sun, and uh, occasionally get down there to a nurseryman's meeting. But I'm I'm always surprised the things that would burn up in Texas that seem to tolerate your sun relatively well. So. I suspect the dwarf mondo would do fine in the sun for you as well, but I know it does well in the shade. Okay, all right, so that'll help. Well, I'll tell you, I, my, I have an awful lot of shade now because I, I'm a tree person. Not very mm-hmm. many of us have, you know, they're cutting their trees down so they don't have to break the leaves and all that kind of thing. But <laughs> uh, uh, So when I do have sun, it's the direct uh, right over the top, you know, two or mm-hmm. three hours. So. Yeah. Uh, that's my challenge. I just don't know what to even plant anymore. Well, uh, this if is my you're, first year yeah, if if you're looking for a good ground cover, I would I would give it a try. It's uh, not real fast to spread and fill in. It, it's kind of like regular monkey grass or the different forms of Liriopleuropi, however you want to pronounce it. Is they take a little while to get started, but then they 
they spread and they do extremely well. They're just not real fast. And the Mondo is the same way. Dwarf Mondo or regular Mondo grass are the same way. Uh, you would plant your individual plants. If you're looking to create a solid ground cover, you'd plant them no more than a foot apart, and it'd probably take them two or three years to fill in. You can plant them closer if you like. It just gets expensive. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Love listening to you. Well, I sure appreciate it. You have a wonderful day over in the Sunshine State, and uh, we'll visit again, I'm sure. And, uh, Jimmy, let's move on. We've got Susan waiting, and it'll be Andrew and Bill. So good morning, Susan. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I have a question about uh, na- uh, our native Rebecca brown-eyed Susan. Uh-huh, right. It, it, it grows along our road, mm-hmm. and... I've read in my wildflower book that there are two different species that Texas has, but regardless of which species it is, it is a perennial. That's how it's listed in the book. Uh-huh. So, and it also says that you can transplant it into landscapes. So I, I want to give it a try. My understanding is that usually with perennials, you move them in the season opposite of their bloom, which would be That's fall. correct. Right. However, this is an area... Where there our county road crew mows, right? And I know where it is right now because it's in bloom. In fact, they knocked it over. Sure. So, I really the only thing I can do is try it now, and and because I'm not going to be able to find it later. Right, and I think you'll probably be okay. Water a man with some Garrett juice or a little bit of Super Thrive, and uh, you know, as long as you get a reasonable port of the portion of the root system they will grow and uh, they will produce seed as well there are lots and lots of different rebeccas there are a lot of so-called improved varieties out there and uh, if you're looking for anything other than just a wildflower meadow look um, i think you might want to choose one of the you know one of the improved forms there's one called goldstrom g-o-l-d-s-t-r-u-m that is uh, extremely good and perennial, you know, 19 years out of 20. Uh, there are uh, several different ones out there, and uh, they are very, very worth growing. They don't have a super long season of bloom, but uh, they're, uh, again, just a bright spot, and virtually nothing bothers them. Right. <laughs> bright spot meaning the most full sun I can give it. Well, yes, they need a bright spot. The more sun they get, but what I'm meaning is they're just so colorful. They they are a real bright spot in the landscape, but to bloom well, they need virtually full sun. Okay, uh, I have uh, I've been I, I've in my my previous property. I had Goldstrom going for years. Mm-hmm. At this place, I planted it three times and it died out on me. Mm. So I. It's the sunniest spot that I have in my bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the issue probably was, since I've got it on drip irrigation, I probably didn't have my water turned on often enough or long enough to, for the plant to thrive through our um, beastly heat. Oh, yeah. And, and hopefully we're moving back toward uh, El Nino and uh, summers will be a little bit milder. But uh, Rubecchia is... Pretty tolerant of drought when it is well established, but it can take months to really get those roots down and spread out. So, yeah, if uh, if it got neglected on the water end of it, July August time, 
it it probably said no thank you i, I i'm not going to do this and uh but it's once you get it established i think you'll find it will be extremely hardy all right and thank you so much you're certainly welcome i appreciate the call this morning thank you ah next in line is andrew good morning andrew good morning bob morning hey, sir quick question quick question i just got some sod laid down on my uh yard and in the process of getting quotes from different landscape companies one of the guys had mentioned uh or recommended to throw some like of the granules for the grubs and whatnot and he mentioned like once you throw it down they tend to start coming up uh for brand new sod depending on you know where these grass farms get their or where they get their mm-hmm. grass or whatnot right and uh so I I wanted to get your expertise on is, is that something you recommend? Uh, if so, how far after the sod has been already established? Well, the two mistakes that that people make planting sod: number one, they go by the old adage of "let it stay in there a month before you fertilize it." I totally disagree with that. With organic fertilizers, I would either put some fertilizer down first, or if your grass is already in place, go ahead and fertilize it immediately. Organic fertilizers do not burn, and it will really help the the grass get a good root system down. Um, The grubs don't come, you know, you may have grub worms in the soil, but anything that's in the soil is going to be big old grubs that are well beyond their feeding stage. The, The Part of the grubworm life cycle that does all the damage to our grasses are tiny little grubs that are called the first and second larval instars. And, of course, where they come from is, you know, June bugs flying and laying the eggs. Now, that's not to say that they don't have, you know, June bugs. They don't get some eggs laid at the commercial grass farms. But most of those guys tend to be using so much poisons out there. It's uh, I can't say that I've ever really seen sod come in with much of an established grubworm problem. Uh, people that are telling you to put down granules and things, number one, they're probably using a, a toxic product, which may or may not work. And number two, they're probably just trying to sell you something. Um, if I were concerned about grubs, uh, I would treat with beneficial nematodes which will take care of fire ants, which will take care of fleas, which will take care of a lot of other things without hurting earthworms and the good guys out there. So, um, again, the choice is yours. They're not real expensive, and it certainly, uh, you're you're not just only controlling grubs. Like I say, you're controlling a, a number of other things. So it certainly wouldn't be a bad idea is it mandatory no i don't think so but uh, i very definitely would feed uh, did the company that installed the sod did they roll it did they take a heavy water fillable roller and roll the grass after they put it down yes sir okay very good yeah, and and what, what what kind of sod did you plant uh, i think it's palmetto palmetto okay very good that's yeah. one of the really good saint augustines for shade um Fertilize it, whether or not you treat for grubs. I I would keep an eye out for June bugs. Um, A lot of folks will actually put out a June bug trap, which is simply a five-gallon bucket with some soapy water in it, and then a light bulb up above. You can use one of those clip-on reflector lights, or you can simply dangle a, a, a bare bulb above it, and this draws in the adult June bugs. They bang into the light, drop down into the water, and drown. So... It's not a bad idea if you 
you know, have a place anywhere in your yard that you can put something like that out and, and just check it every couple of days and see if you're getting June bugs in there. If so, then I would very definitely treat with uh, beneficial nematodes. Uh, okay, well, where could I get that? Uh, just about any good nursery is going to carry them. Uh, there has been, yeah, there's, there's been a little bit of a shortage. The company changed hands. They moved from Colorado to Oregon, and they simply haven't gotten their supply ramped up quite the way they need to. But uh, uh, whereas we used to get two shipments a week, they now send us about one shipment every two weeks. But look around, and I think you'll find them. They're totally safe for people and pets, and like I say, they take care of a number of other problems in the landscape. So uh, not a bad idea to not a bad idea to put out. And like I say, I I doubt that your sod came in with grub worms, but uh, they call them June bugs because uh, they they typically are out and about in June. They don't wait till June. We've seen them this year. We've seen them as early as March, and we see them sometimes as late as August. So. It's a good idea to kind of monitor and be aware of when they're out there laying eggs. Okay, and then uh, just to follow up, you said uh, any you said natural uh, fertilizer you would recommend doing. ASAP. Yeah. What what what? Uh, Medina. What, uh, Medina makes a good one. They call Growing Green. Maestro Grow makes a good product. They call Texas Tea. T double E. Uh, Nature's Creation makes a good one. They simply call Premium Lawn and Garden Food. Those are all based on different uh, organic materials, but uh, they're all very good fertilizers. Even though the numbers are lower on the bag, your plants get 100% of the fertilizer. Virtually nothing washes away when you look at some of these synthetic products that have much higher nitrogen levels, especially uh, much higher first number. Uh, that nitrogen is in a different form, and your plants are lucky to get 10% of it. So don't don't avoid the natural and organic products because the numbers are much lower. In truth, your, your plants get more out of those low-number fertilizers than they do out of the high number. And sometime, if you're interested, we'll have a discussion about cation exchange capacity, which is how they do it. But uh, Medina, Maestro Grow, Nature's Creation, all three of those companies make a real good product, so I probably shop for price and availability. Thank you very much, Rob. You have a good morning. You do the same, Andrew. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. And let's get Bill in here before the news break. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, sir. I've got two questions and a comment. All right. I'm going to quit listening. I'm going to quit listening to you and Howard Garrett. You <laughs> talked about. <laughs> and probably get me in trouble with my wife too. But okay, uh, you talked about top pressing the yard with compost, right? And my wife urged me, and I did it here a while back. <laughs> yeah. Now I lay in the morning in bed, and I can hear it outside laughing, saying, "Ha ha ha ha! You got to cut me again." <laughs> <laughs> well, guilty is charged. Uh, you, you sound like an old banker I had one time, and who 
used to call me and Jim would say, Webster, would you kindly shut up? Because every Saturday morning, my mother calls me and says, Jim, Bob said it's time to do such and such. So, yeah, it, uh, but, but I like to think of it as I'm, I'm improving your health by giving you more exercise and keeping that grass mowed and everything else. But no, compost is, uh, oh, yeah. just magic for grass. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> okay. I'll get to my question. I just bought this home a year ago, a little over. Congratulations. Uh, it's got uh, some type of Bermuda grass. It's not common Bermuda, but it's a pretty green grass. Okay. And I've got area in the backyard. They never really did anything to the backyard. I'm in Lavernia. Okay. Uh, sandy soil. Yeah. Uh, the part that's in the sun, I'll try to duplicate this Bermuda and put it back there. Mm -hmm. But I got a lot of oak trees and I've got a couple of real big ones that are shaded and nothing will grow. What's a good grass to go under there or do, can I put a grass under those trees? You can certainly put uh, the only grass that's going to thrive in the shade will be one of your varieties of St. Augustine. There's a variety called Palmetto. There's another variety called Delmar. Those are the two best St. Augustines for shade. Now, I've seen areas that were too shady for even St. Augustine to grow, and uh, I, I recommend many times ground covers like Asiatic Jasmine or Venka Minor or um, various things like that because they don't take as much water. They don't... Uh, uh, have to be mowed. They're they're much lower maintenance. So um, out out in your sunny areas, I would just go out in your front yard that looks so beautiful and just dig up some little plugs, two three inches in diameter, and just plant those out in the sun. That way you're not spending any money and you get a little bit more exercise. But in the shade, it's either going to be ground cover or one of the shade tolerant uh, St. Augustine varieties. Sounds good. Now. I'm probably pronouncing this wrong. A sago palm, a little short palm. Yeah, sago uh, palms. They're a cycad. Yeah. Uh, back when we had our little freeze this year, mm -hmm. some of the leaves, I guess that's what you call those hanging on there. You can call them leaves. Yeah. You can call them fronds. Either way. Yeah. Okay. They, they got burned on the ends. I thought they would die and fall or... or drop down but the ends are, are brown sure back near the trunk of it is still green do i right. cut those off it'll look nicer the plant doesn't really care it's like cutting your hair or cutting your fingernails plant plant can care less that's dead tissue and it will uh <laughs> it'll probably make other family members happier if you do trim them off uh has your sago put on a set of new fronds this spring yet oh Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. The top yep. of it has exploded. Yeah. Well, you can cut off as much as you like. I The plant will be happiest if you only cut off the uh, the brown dead part of it. But uh, if, you know, if, if that's hard to do, if some of those older fronds are sort of half brown, half green, and you want to go ahead and cut them back all the way, you've got all this new growth coming out, which is going to kind of take over. Uh, so if if you want to do the best thing, just you know put on your gloves because they are well armed. They've got some pretty big spines on there, but uh, get in there and just trim out the parts that are brown. 
Uh, if you get some of those fronds that there's just too much brown on there, you're going to spend an hour trying to clean up one frond. Just go ahead and snip the whole thing off because that new growth is going to be all you're going to see pretty soon. Okay. Sounds like a winner. I'll see if I can forgive you for having me. It really is good. So you just remember that every time your neighbors compliment you and people start stopping and asking why your look, yard looks so good and theirs looks so bad, you can look real good and just tell them what they can do. But now you also did the right thing, Bill, in putting your compost on while it was still a little cool. Um, our weather has been very moderate this spring, I'm happy to say, but once it really gets hot, uh, probably best to put off adding more compost until fall because it's not going to kill anything, but the compost can produce uh, temporary yellowing if you put it on once those daytime temperatures are up in the 90s or even upper 80s. And So far, we've been blessed with a very mild spring, and I certainly hope that continues a while longer, but... Uh, uh, tell them what you've done, but if it gets real hot, tell them to wait till fall to uh, do the same thing. Sounds good. I just got a brand new neighbor, and he's already told me if I look up and see spotches in my yard gone, don't look in his yard. Uh, <laughs> a neighbor, a neighbor with the sense of humor. That's what we all need. Well, you might as well laugh about it, Bob, because. You can't do anything else. Well, that's that's the way I look at life in general. And, uh, oh, you know, it's kind of like kind of like politics and everything else. Somebody somebody told me something the other day, said, you know what the problem with political jokes is? And the answer is that too often they get elected. (laughs) So (laughs) you you keep smiling and you get out and have a wonderful Memorial Day and uh Remember what we're what we're honoring uh, with all the men and women that gave their lives so that uh, you and I could sit here and laugh about it and get out and work in our yards in uh, peace and freedom. So a uh, very important time, and uh, it's always good to hear from you. Anything else I can help you with today? That ought to do it, Bob, and I agree with you completely, and you have a great one. Thank you, sir. It's actually one one of seven days a year that we close. Uh, I don't know about Fanix. I know among my sponsors, I know Rhonda's going to be closed on Memorial Day. And uh, a lot of folks do close on Memorial Day, uh, including us at Shades of Green, because it really is, really is a holiday to, to remember. Uh, we celebrate uh, the lives and what they've done for us. So I know you feel the same way, so you get out and enjoy I've just had a less than 30 seconds here before news, so I will tell you we do have some open lines. If you've been getting a busy signal, uh, it's a good time to dial 210-599-5555. We'll get you up pretty quickly after the news. Uh, speaking of our troops, uh, our Operation Interdependence uh, is uh, going on now. It goes on through the 4th of July where KTSA collects needed items for our troops around the world. You can go to KTSA.com, check out our website for uh for all the information on that. I'll be back with you right after news here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
All right, we do have a couple of lines open. Uh, looks like we are going to talk to uh, Bill and Carolyn and Teresa. That leaves one there for you to grab at 210-599-5555. Uh, backing up to Operation Interdependence for just a moment, I men- might mention that it is co-sponsored by Kitchen Designs by Giovanni. And virtually all of our sponsors are drop-off locations. Uh, like I say, go to KTSA.com to get all the information you need. And uh, this will be up through the 4th of July, another good holiday to celebrate, that uh, KTSA will be collecting items for our troops all around the world. Another very, very good program. Uh, let's just get right back to gardening here. And uh looks like Bill is up first. Good morning, Bill. No, Carolyn's up. Or Bill. Carolyn's next. I'm sorry. Read, read my... We have a note wrong here. Carolyn's next in line. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I've, I have a few questions. Um, my tomatoes <laughs> are not making. I have an early girl that's making tomatoes. The, all of the plants are just absolutely gorgeous, four and five feet tall, okay? Mm-hmm. Last year I had so many tomatoes that I was giving them away, preserving them, doing everything. And I just can't, I don't see any flowers on the tomatoes. I just, you know, they're just not not flowering. And are they out in full sun? Yes, they are much of the day anyway, most of the day. I plant them in the same place I always do. But some days we don't have any sun, you know. So right, that's- right. And that's you know, the only two things that really will keep tomatoes from flowering are not enough sun and not enough nutrient. Uh, now, getting them to set fruit is, you know, sometimes a different matter that's based on temperature, among other things. And and to some extent, flowering, um, uh, you're my friend up in the Fort Worth area, aren't you? Right, uh-huh. Yeah, you, you know, we've had wonderful, cool mornings, and uh, this may be what's holding them back. I would very definitely be feeding, maybe even on a weekly basis, with one of the good liquid fertilizers, has to grow plant or Medina's fish blend or one of the other good products. But um, other than that, I'll just tell you, we sometimes have to be patient, and cool nights could be could be retarding them a bit. I, you know, I'm certainly not going to complain about these evenings in the 50s and 60s, and and that may very well be. Um, uh, what what is keeping them from blooming well but uh if you've got good sun and got good nutrition they will bloom when they are ready to bloom so uh be patient increase your fertilizing and uh, when you start complaining about the heat your tomatoes will probably be blooming and setting fruit like mad uh, okay i hope so because i've never had this problem before so right okay i'll try uh i i have been fertilizing them i've been spraying with seaweed and molasses doing the Doing the whole thing, so very good. I'll try more fertilizer. The other is my squash. Uh, also a problem. The stink bugs have literally destroyed it. My squash was big enough to inject, which I did, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it started declining. When the leaf, one leaf would turn yellow, another leaf would turn yellow. I looked underneath it, and there were stink bugs everywhere. Yep. So I got rid of them i i did i looked online and there were several things i tried to call last week but you i couldn't get in and uh i didn't get neem oil but i got this i put soapy water and it said to put that and spray it 
and garlic, and I've done the garlic and the soapy water, and got picked off all the little, all the little um, brown uh, beads off the back, all the you know the, the eggs, yeah, yeah, the eggs, and uh, but I just finally had to pull up the squash, so I I got to start it all over again because yep. it's just not. Mm-hmm. You have plenty so, of time to plant more squash. Yeah, it's it's a good time to plant more squash. You will notice, and that's what I do, is go through and everywhere, you know, it'll usually be between the big ribs on the back of the leaf where they lay those those little brown yes, eggs in a right, big cluster. Right. And I just take my fingernail and gouge that out and, you know, dump it I in did. a little mm-hmm. thing of soapy water. And if you miss some of them and they hatch, they make that little gray uh, insect that yes, moves around right. pretty quickly. <clears throat> Spinosad works extremely well at killing those. Now, the adult, uh, the squash, they're really squash bugs rather than sink bugs. Uh, the Once the adults get there, the thumb and forefinger are about the only thing that works on them. But uh, when they're small, uh, Spinosad will, you know, will get them very, very well. I would spray late in the day so that you're not bothering the bees. I'd also be a little careful about using garlic, but garlic garlic can be pretty repellent to the bees. But if you're spraying in the late afternoon or evening, uh, garlic is a preventive, uh, spinosad is a curative, will really kill those guys out before they become adults. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I, I'll try that, but... I didn't use the garlic but once, but by then it was probably too late anyway. Right. And, uh, so, I mean, I just have to pull it out there. I had a, It had already gotten big enough to where I could inject it, but that, right. that wasn't the problem. Then well, the other question on squash is, um, which uh, varieties can I, do I not have to uh, inject? Because I have planted some spaghetti squash. It seems to have a... Now, that one I planted way over somewhere near something, not even in the garden, right. uh, on the side of the house. And uh, that one and the tatumi uh, don't seem to have very big stems. Right. The tatumi is the one that is most like our other summer squash, most like zucchinis. Um, and they, you know, they are pretty much all too small stem for the vine borers to get in. Most of the so-called winter squash, I prefer to call them long-season squash, like spaghetti, like acorn, like, uh, oh, golly, um, you know, all the different ones that, that are really the Hubbard squash. The uh, the list just goes on and on. Uh, they, they don't grow in the winter. People call them winter squash because it's late in the season. They take much longer to produce. But virtually all of those have a smaller, tougher stem that the vine borers don't go after. And like I say, the thing that is most like our zucchinis and other summer squash is going to be the uh, tatumi, what some people call calabacita. Yeah, so I've got that in the spaghetti, so I don't need to inject it. But no. I did get a squash borer on one of my tatumis a couple of years ago. I did get so I I usually, you know, you can't inject them very well though because they are such small stems. Yeah, you want to avoid injecting your fingers in the process. But uh, <laughs> uh, and do you know? I'm sure what the uh, moth that lays the eggs for the squash oh, vine yeah, borer looks uh, like. It's the little orange thing that. Yeah. yeah, you see it flying around. And okay, other- by all means, do everything you can to eliminate those. I, I tend to try to knock them down with a stream of water and then apply a foot to them. 
I even have somewhere from years ago uh, have a uh, old-fashioned butterfly net, and I probably look like a crazy man out there in the garden sometimes, but I try to eliminate every one of those moths I see because it seems like they show up a day or two before they start laying eggs, and uh, you just want to do everything you can to head off the vine borers. Yeah, well, they're hard to catch. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, they can be. Beetles, just like cucumber beetles, they fly fast. Yeah. Yes, they do. Okay, the other thing is um, I have something, uh, you know, my cauliflower. I have a summer cauliflower that I planted last year, and it, it made. Uh-huh. So I planted it again, and uh, the leaves look like Swiss cheese. And when I when I check, you know, to um, during the day, there's the little caterpillar on there. Right, right. It's a little green caterpillar. But those leaves are so sli- slick, even if I spray, the spray doesn't stick to them. You know, I've sprayed several times, but this, that uh, it doesn't stick. It just rolls right off of them. Put a add a little molasses to it, and uh, maybe add a little bit of soap to it. Uh, it it's hard to get things that really stick, but a little bit of molasses will help. It'll also make your BT much more effective, and that's what you should be spraying yeah, with. I is, do. Uh, I do. And, uh, I add but add, add a little molasses and add just a little bit of soap to it, and I think you'll find it'll stick better for you. Okay, and the Swiss chard uh, has big chunks of leaves, has holes in it, and mm-hmm. I, I I put the, uh, what do you call it, the granules around, and right. I have sprayed it also with the um, BT and the molasses, but something, and it, it looks almost like a grasshopper is eating big chunks of it off, but I don't see any grasshoppers. I haven't seen any grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. It's usually it is usually a caterpillar on Swiss chard mm-hmm. uh, as well on chard and on kale for that matter. But it's it's probably a big black fuzzy caterpillar they call a woolly bear, and I don't know how they hide so effectively during the day. They're out almost exclusively at night, and um, if you're ever you know up with a flashlight after it gets dark. Do your spraying then, and you'll most likely get some of the product on them, and that'll be the end of them. Okay, because it's not getting them, you know. I just sprayed, uh, I picked all the Swiss chard, and then I sprayed. And, and of course, you have to spray often because the chard grows so fast. Exactly. You know, so That's the thing, though, about adding a little molasses to the spray. It really yeah. seems to make it last longer and I like molasses and seaweed just as a general maintenance spray through the warm weather. And I have found that on tomatoes, because, you know, the hornworms are the big caterpillar we have a problem yes. with there. But I found that by by using BT early in the season and then spraying somewhat regularly with a seaweed molasses spray, I, the BT pretty much seems to remain effective throughout the summer months. I rarely have to apply it a second time. So, And, of course, uh, you know, the, the molasses and seaweed combination does worlds to uh, stop spider mites from becoming a problem. But sure. uh, that, that molasses is a very strong bacterial stimulant, and that, of course, is what BT is, is a bacterium. And uh, so spraying with that will keep your BT active for a much longer period of time. Okay, thank you very much. Great questions, and thank you, for, thank you for the call this morning, Carolyn. You have a wonderful Memorial Day in North Texas for us. Thank okay. you kindly. Bye-bye. You're, goodbye. 
Teresa, hang on just a second. You will be up in, you'll be up next, but right now I need to take a moment and talk about the window source of San Antonio, which is always a pleasure. You know, Moses and his staff are really out there to provide a new level of service and quality in the window industry. And they're if you're thinking of upgrading with low-E windows, with a better-looking window, with vinyl windows, it just I hope you'll consider the window source uh, when you're getting bids on your project because you're going to find they have top-quality windows. Most of them made right here in Texas or doors as well. Uh, their workmanship is outstanding, and they give you a warranty that really does cover all the potential problems, including labor and glass breakage. Uh, very few companies uh, have that in their warranties. You, you always have to read the fine print. Well, with window source, there's really not any fine print to read. It's just if anything goes wrong, we'll come out and take care of it. They uh, have very attractive windows. Uh, they they you know they they have run some introductory specials. You just have to talk to Moses to see if they've got anything special going on right now. They welcome you to visit their showroom, which is around in Southwest San Antonio. And uh, like I say, I think you'll find that they have a very good reputation, and they're just really, really out there to please you. So when you're considering that big window product, be sure that they are among the folks to give you a bid. I think you'll find they're great people to do business with. If you'd like to give them a call, they always welcome that, 210-879-4433, 879-4433 for the window source of San Antonio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening. It's going to be Teresa and Scott and Terry. One line open. Grab it if you like. 210-599-5555. I say good morning, Teresa. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm off to a good start. It's an absolutely gorgeous morning out there once again. Yes, it is. I just have a few quick questions. Uh, when I'm making a garlic pepper spray, can I uh-huh. add Medina products to it also, like the liquid fish? Yeah, yeah, no problem at all with that. Okay, what about if I made a spinosad solution or compost tea? Can I add more of that t- to it? Um, yes, you certainly can. I would not uh, add any peroxide. Some people like using hydrogen peroxide for a number of different problems, but it is very definitely antimicrobial. But as far as adding, you know, things like molasses, seaweed, fish meal, or uh, liquid fish, things like that, yeah, go ahead and, you know, make as much of a cocktail as you like, kind of like Howard <laughs> Garrett did with the original Garrett juice formulation. It's, it's not all about one thing. It's just... Uh, um, make make a a good mix and put it out there. The the only negatives, of course, is if you're spraying flowers, anything that has molasses, anything that has much humate material in it, is going to leave a brown stain on white flowers. But other than that, uh, your plants will love you for it. Great. Okay. And on tomatoes, um, I've not been a tomato grower, but I am this year, and they're doing wonderful. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did water them with some of the Epsom salt solution. How often should I do that? Generally speaking, um, I what I do is I put dry Epsom salts down at the time I plant, and that pretty much carries them through the whole summer. So if you've done your solution two tablespoons per gallon, you do that once or twice, um, that's probably going to get you through the whole summer. Remember, what you're doing is you're, you're not wanting the plants to take up 
uh, the things in Epsom salts. What you're doing is changing the balance of calcium and magnesium in the soil. You're actually improving the soil. This is not something that, you know, the plant itself benefits from other than indirectly because uh, all of a sudden the soil contains, well, it contains more readily available nutrient materials. So generally speaking, it's not something that you have to do over and over. Once you get your soil in good shape, you're you're good till the next season. Okay. And you had a previous caller. She said her tomatoes weren't flowering, and you mm-hmm. told her to fertilize more. Were you right. wanting her to, uh, is that foliar spray or in the ground? Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't believe in overdoing foliar spraying because uh, sometimes the plants will tend to put on vegetative growth at the expense of not developing as much roots. But in the average vegetable garden, an occasional foliar spray is just fine. I, I go back, you know, I've, I've grown orchids most of my life ever since the eighth grade. And I uh, have a friend that, uh, I don't know if Rob's still with USDA or not, but they, they did a lot of experiments, and they found, and some other countries, Taiwan in particular, and they're one of the big suppliers that you're seeing all these Phalaenopsis orchids in uh, all the grocery stores and everywhere, but they use almost exclusively foliar sprays, and most of their plants have a cruddy root system. Uh, at the time we were growing mm. them commercially, uh, the people we were selling to, which were very nurse, various nurseries, uh, they told us that our plants had a shelf life that were four, it was four times as long as anybody else's because we focused on building a good root system. And I think that's true of any plant you want to pick. If you give the plants everything they need through the leaves, they just really don't have that reason to grow a real expensive or extensive widespread root system. So um, I do like an occasional foliar feeding. I think it's just it gets things into the plant more quickly. But, boy, don't do it at the expense of, uh, you know, your good old ground soaking because that long term is where your plants should get most of their nutrients. Okay, that makes sense. And um, I've heard you talk about spraying your tomato plants with the BT and uh, molasses. I've just pulled off about six horn worms a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I haven't seen any more since. Right. I heard you talk about the BT. Is it too late to spray that on there? Never too late to spray that on there. Just, you know, be very circumspect about where you put it. Don't go out and spray your whole landscape. But uh Anything that is susceptible to caterpillars, and that's going to include tomatoes and peppers and eggplant, uh, yes, I would very definitely be doing that. If you're growing Swiss chard, which is one of our few leafy things we grow in the summer, spray that as well. It's pretty much, I think, a waste of time on things like okra, which get the occasional caterpillar, but doesn't seem to be much of a detriment to the plants. I'd watch your cucumbers, watch your squash. If you start seeing the fecal pellets or if you start seeing big pieces of leaves disappear, you can certainly spray it, but uh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't get carried away there. It's mainly peppers, tomatoes, eggplant, and uh any leafy greens that you're growing that those are the main things you want to be spraying regularly and and you add a couple of tablespoons of molasses to that right per gallon add add about a tablespoon per gallon okay tablespoon okay bob i sure appreciate it thank you so much well i appreciate you you get out and have a wonderful memorial day weekend Teresa. good to hear from you thank you so much bob you're welcome goodbye all right next in line is scott good morning scott hello how are you doing bob I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I've got a question about some crepe myrtles. 
Yes, sir. I've got probably 10 or 12 on my property. Uh-huh. And uh, three of them that are kind of in one corner of the property, I noticed the bark, I mean, really coming off of them. <clears throat> so I went over there and peeled some back, and it looks like uh, almost like termite tunnels under the bark. But I can't see any insects. Is there some type of bark? There, Great myrtle bark disease? Not very common. I mean, it's perfectly normal for crepe myrtles to be shedding bark all the time. Uh, occasionally, although it's rarely in crepe myrtles, peach trees and things like that, we have a little borer that will get under there and, you know, just kind of eat right underneath the bark. And I guess it's possible that you might have some of those on crepe myrtles. I've just never seen it. it. They're very easy to control, and you just mix up a solution of orange oil and water, spray it on the bark, and it goes right through the bark and, you know, kills whatever bores or anything are underneath it. How, how does the foliage on the crepe myrtles look? How does the growth look overall on, on all your crepe myrtles? Um, well, out of all the crepe myrtles, those three are the ones that are like in a group kind of together. Uh-huh. And uh, they look good. They're not, the foliage looks good, but, you know, I know the bark exfoliates, mm-hmm. and it was excessive. That's why I went and looked at it, and I could peel it back, and there'd be, like, up the trunk, coming from the ground up the trunk, and then even further up, it's like a little collar of it poofing uh-huh. out, and I peeled it back, and you can kind of see a, looks like termite tunnel yeah. but there's no insects i can't right find it. our our common subterranean termite which fortunately is uh it's, we rarely have the former formosan termites which eat green wood but our 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 more common termites only eat dead wood so right. not likely to be an issue there have you exposed the root flare on those crepe myrtles because most every crepe myrtle sold uh is buried too deep before you even put it in the ground and then Half the landscapers out there don't know what they're doing, and they plant them even deeper. So with all of those 10 crepe myrtles, if you haven't already done so, I would pull the soil back away from the trunk uh, until you get down not and just cut out any little fibrous roots you see. But you want to have the trunk exposed down to where those first major roots start developing. And uh, if there's one plant that is almost 100% of the time planted too deeply, it's the crepe myrtle, and that will reduce the vigor, will reduce the blooming, and will make them more susceptible to things like boars and, and various other insects that might go after them otherwise. But a healthy crepe myrtle is just not going to have much of anything that bothers it. Some of the older varieties still pick up some powdery mildew when we have wet weather, but um, vigorous crepe myrtles ought to be re- withstanding just about everything. And... Uh, but it's, like to say, about 100% of the crepe myrtles out there come to you already buried too deeply. So check that when you have a chance. Um, if the plants seem to be vigorous, if they're blooming well, I wouldn't worry about too much else. If you feel like and if you find more evidence that something is working underneath the bark, then make up a little bit stronger orange oil solution, maybe four ounces to a gallon of water, spray that just coating the bark with it and it'll go directly through the bark and kill any insects that are underneath it doing any damage 
right. <clears throat> well, you can see the little squiggly tunnels and like sawdust in the mm-hmm. tunnel. I guess they're right there in the cambium layer. And that's the, that's the where you yeah that's where you don't want them. It would be very unusual for it to be a termite, but uh, if you got any dead wood in there, then it certainly could be. Um, uh, it could be carpenter ants, for that matter. But uh, some beneficial nematodes at the if it is termites, are they? It's termite- not termites. I know what termites okay. look like, but it's it looks like the tunnels they create. You know. Yeah. I'll spray with but, some spinosad. Yeah, you know, up small. Your, I was just worried it might girdle them at some point, you know. And and too. yeah, I would I would be concerned about that, but uh, um, it certainly wouldn't hurt uh, to spray, like I say, with a relatively strong orange oil solution, and that will take care of any insect okay. that's causing damage underneath the bark. If you start seeing many ants around, because you can sometimes have carpenter ants in them then spinosad is a product to go after those guys with, and very safe for you, very bad for the ants. Right. All right. Well, thanks for your information. Keep me posted on how they do. I'll look forward to hearing from you, Scott. Okay. All right. I uh, was wondering, maybe I'll send you a picture of them at some point, because it's Love very unusual. <clears throat> I've never seen that before, and there's crepe myrtles here that have probably been here 50 or 60 years, and they don't have it, and those have um, been there 20 I'm going to make a, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's very unusual. I'm making a note as we speak to uh, uh, ask Howard Garrett if he's seen any, any of that up in the Dallas area because that, that's very unusual. I'd love to see a picture of it when you have a chance, but most importantly, let's get rid of them so your, your crepe marbles continue to thrive. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for your help. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye. All right, let me get a break out of the way here. Terry will be up next, but it looks like I get to talk to you about nature's creation. And I was out, oh, line trimmer, taking down weeds and things like that. And I will admit, I picked up a couple of chiggers along the way. If you're fighting things like chiggers and just about any kind of insects in your grass uh, around your yard, I want to tell you about a very effective repellent that you can use out there. And it's called cedar repel you can get two different kinds if you just got a general area that you want to keep the fleas out of say around dogs bedding or something like that you can get your cedar repel as granules uh, if you're wanting something you can spray you can get the cedar repel liquid and that's what an old friend used on uh, the little league fields that he was responsible for and said his kids never had any problem with sugars and uh I I know that this is getting into the time of year when the sugars can just drive you crazy if you get into a bunch of them. So if you if you have Bermuda grass, you're not going to have a problem with St. Augustine grass, but if you've got Bermuda grass or many of our native grasses and you are concerned about the insects, just get some cedar repel. It's a totally natural product. It's totally harmless to people and pets, but boy, does it work to keep away a lot of different insects, including mosquitoes. You're getting ready to have a party outside, spray the yard down with the cedar repel. It'll leave a very nice, pleasant fragrance, and uh, it does not cause allergy problems. That's, that's a whole different matter, but it sure will keep things like mosquitoes and gnats and flies away for, for quite some time. Cedar Repel is a, like I say, it's a natural product. Uh, uh, the company that makes it is called Nature's Creation. They also make very fine compost products and uh, mulch products, and they package a great cornmeal. They make great fertilizer. 
Nature's Creation is a good company with a lot of different quality natural products. Right now, if they just want me to feature the Cedar Repel, you're going to find it at good nurseries all over the place, both Rainbow Gardens locations, Carriott, Millburgers. Oh, up in the Hill Country, you'll find things at Hill Country, African Violets, Friendly Natives up in Fredericksburg, Plant House, both Kerrville and New Braunfels. And, of course, we keep their products here at Shades of Green. Quality products from our friends at Nature's Creation. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and straight back to the phone lines. It's going to be Terry and Ron and Turkey. Tom Terry is up first. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Bob. First time caller and a listener for a while, so thank you for what you do. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you calling. All right, first question is, I have crepe myrtles also, but um, during the winter, I didn't think they were going to come back. So the shoots are coming up. Some of the branches aren't Mm -hmm. blooming. Do I cut back the whole branch or just up to where the leaves are coming out? Um, really just anywhere that you have dead tips on the limbs, uh, pretty much anything beyond where the leaves are coming out, that is how far you might as well take the dead growth off. Now, um, beyond that, crepe myrtles can be bushes or they can be trees, and you prune according to what you like. And uh, it's just a matter of pruning shears. There are no varieties that are, you know, always trees. There are no varieties that are always bushes. Um, if you have limited space around them, sometimes pruning to be more tree-like is a good idea. If you want just a, my grandmother used to call it a giant bouquet of flowers. There's a huge one on the property next to their flower shop. And so that's really up to you. I think sometimes it's good to thin them out just a little bit. But whatever you do, don't practice that Houston, what the Houstonians do that we tend to refer to as crepe murder where they go through and just lop all the limbs back to a, you know, random point. That's that's a bad idea. But um, if you want to just cut off any any limb that doesn't have leaves on it at this point is probably dead. So I begin by cutting off all the dead tissue, and then I'd go back and look and say, okay, to have a pretty plant, to have a good shape, uh, what additional pruning do you want to do and uh, go after it? The crepe myrtles how often they bloom how early they start blooming is largely dependent on the variety you have but uh all of them you know should be starting to come into bloom now so just you're just giving them a haircut you're just giving them you're just making them look nicer is really all you're doing in pruning at this time of year okay good and then my next question i have um the uh red buds the oklahoma red buds and uh-huh. every year i've had them for two years and it seems like i keep getting brown spots on the leaves and i used neem oil last year but what could be causing it to come back every year again neem oil you have to be careful with because being an oil it can burn and it can create some brown spots on its own Typically, with red buds, uh, Oklahoma should not be having as many problems with that as a common Texas red bud, but it's usually a sign of excessive moisture. Once your red bud is in and established, you should virtually never, ever have to water it. And about the only thing I see killing red birds is, or red buds is too frequent watering. So water very thoroughly when you need to water, but if they've been in the ground two years, and you shall be able to not have to water them more than once a month at the very most. Okay, so that's what I'm doing then. 
you just answered my question. I'm <laughs> well, remind, remember this. There really is no such thing as overwatering, but there is watering too often, and there's a big difference. Because when you water, you want to really water thoroughly, but uh, you don't want to do you don't want to water again until the soil is dry. In the case of a red bud, an established red bud, several inches deep, water doesn't hurt anything. But when the ground stays so saturated, that the water drives the oxygen out of the soil. A plant's roots have to have oxygen. If they're staying too wet, uh, oxygen's not there. The root hairs are going to die. The roots are going to die. And I see red buds killed every year from people literally killing them with kindness. So when you water, do a good job of it, but make it pretty infrequent. Okay. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a great day. Well, you do the same. And don't wait so long to call me again, Terry. Thank you. (laughs) Always here for you. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, uh, Jimmy, let's see if Ron's ready to talk. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. Morning, sir. I want to thank I want to thank you for everything you do and helping us in our gardening challenges. Well, it's my great pleasure. I, I, my desire is to keep you from making all the mistakes that I've made over the years. So if I can do that, you'll become a pretty good gardener. Well, good. So I have uh, an invasive plant on my on my acreage, 10 acres. I think it's called horse nettle. It's got a, an attractive purple flower, mm-hmm. a seed pod uh, about the size of cherry tomatoes. Right. And it's really spreading, you know, I would say in an invasive manner. What can I do? Uh, what do you have a, a pasture grass in this or is this just uh, yeah. good old native hill country land? What what kind of grass do you have? Yeah, native hill country. Okay. Grass. This time of year. About all you can do, because that, that stuff is just, you. It, it'll, I don't know, it'll, it'll make you very uncomfortable as you get into it, as I'm sure you have discovered. Generally speaking, early in the year, it's one of the first things to sprout out before your native grasses really start greening up. And at that point, spraying with the orange oil and vinegar mixture will typically kill the small nettle plants. Uh, beyond that, do you is this do you shred your acreage uh, uh, with any regularity or too rocky, too many other plants? I, I generally only do it once in like over the winter time, just to knock it down and give it the look. Otherwise, I try to keep things natural looking. Yeah, I again in the area that you're fighting the nettle, you may want to shred a little bit more often, cut fairly high. But it sure would be nice to keep the flowers and seed pods from developing too much on that. But uh, your best control is going to be getting out before your native grasses really start greening up and spraying the areas where you have the worst nettle problems with uh, uh, just your standard vinegar and orange oil mix, two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of vinegar. And uh, it won't hurt your native grasses at all while they're still dormant. But it'll it'll knock out the nettle just as it starts its spring growth and Normally, most of these nettles are annual, so if you can kill them early, you're pretty much uh, good all season long. Oh, I thought they were perennials because they come back. I mean, it's like an underground runner. And we may be talking about two different nettles. Uh, uh, are you sure that what you're not looking at is what we call nightshade, has kind of a gray-green leaf and then kind of a light purple flower? 
Yeah, that may be it because it does okay. have the underground runners. Uh, okay, if you're looking at nightshade, uh, it, I tell you, they're, uh, even the toxic stuffs don't really touch that very well. About the only thing you're going to find is just to let your native grasses choke it out, maybe even a little bit of organic fertilizer periodically. But nightshade is just the bane of our existence in the hill country. And it's when we have a moist spring like we've had this spring, it's it's even worse. But, uh, yeah, no, that's that's known as nightshade. And you can spot spray with your orange oil and vinegar, and you will um, you'll really set it back. But. Man, I wish I could tell you a, a surefire solution to get rid of it because I fight it. Every rancher, every farmer I know of fights it in the hill country. Okay, it's called nightshade. All right. Yeah, um, and and try to try to mow it off, cut it off. You know, it makes those seed pods that once they start turning yellow, they're going to start throwing seed everywhere. So, you know, set that mower up high and. Um, and I was mowing for it just this week, along with some uh, other thistles out there. But uh, it's it's tough to control. But try to keep it from reseeding. And uh, uh, do you run any stock on your on your uh, grass? I do not. Okay. Uh, in that case, that you know that's probably a good thing. But do I'm afraid I'm going to have to suggest that you that you shred a little bit more often. But set it up high so you're not really knocking your. Uh, knocking your native grasses down too much, but just keep cutting the top off the nightshade. You will reduce it. You'll probably never be rid of it, but uh, don't be tempted by some of the broadleaf herbicides because they'll harm your native grasses as well, and they're just not that effective on the nightshade. All right. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. I wish I could give you a better answer, and I'll certainly let you know if we find one. Uh, let's All get right, our last. Thank you. thank you, sir. Let's get our last break of the hour in here, and I get to talk to you about Morales Feed. Fred Morales is so oh, godly. Fred has done so much to help farmers and ranchers in South Texas, and of course, his uh, business is known for quality feed, known for the K-line irrigation, known for a lot of different fine products that they carry. But Fred is out there, just always looking at ways for to help people improve their land, and of course, main. Thing we fight in agricultural lands is a uh, lack of organic material because it's literally been burned out of the soil by years of uh, improper management techniques and a lot of synthetic fertilizers. Well, Fred has come up with a good compost source, not something that I'd really recommend for your lawn or for your garden, but cheap enough to be able to use it on acreage. And of course, nothing builds organic material back as well as compost does. And uh, Fred can even help you with the application if you need that. If you're looking to really improve your land without breaking the bank, you really need to talk to Fred. He's uh, there at Morales Feed, always happy to help you. And uh, just talk to him about his new uh, acreage compost material. I think you'd be real glad you did. And if you don't know Fred already, you will make a very, very good friend in the process. It's Fred Morales with Morales Feed. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Turkey Tom and Pam. Tom is up first. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? Uh, it's just another beautiful morning out there. These uh, mornings in the mid-upper 60s are sure a nice way to start a day. 
Yes, sir. Beats the eighties that we'll get in a couple months. Or a <laughs> oh, couple let's don't weeks. don't let's let's focus on the good stuff. I don't even want to think about August at this point. So, what's going on in your world today? Well, I got a, a couple questions for you. I've every year I plant pumpkins, and I seem to have found a really vigorous variety of pumpkin to the point where I've had volunteer plants every year that thirty, forty feet long uh, in just a couple of weeks and. I've tried growing watermelon, and I have not found a watermelon variety that's big-leafed and vigorous. Every one I've tried so far has had small little leaves and doesn't seem to want to grow that vigorously. Do you know any watermelon varieties that are just real vigorous producers? Charleston Gray is probably the one. I haven't grown watermelons in years. They just take up too much room in the garden for not that much fruit. But Charleston Gray is probably one of the ones that, I have seen most people be very successful with. What is your soil like? Do you, uh, is it sandy? Is it clay? What kind of soil do you have? Well, actually, yes to both. The the back of our property, I have got multiple gardens. The back is thick clay, but the uh-huh. front is thick sand. So the and front that's... is like 20 feet of sand. The back is about 20 feet of clay. <laughs> okay. Well, the sandy area is where your watermelons are going to do best and, uh, Get them in, you know, get them in pretty early in the season. Um, and you're, are you sure what you're looking at in your real vigorous vine is not a gourd, but is truly a pumpkin? Oh, it's a pumpkin. I've already harvested them. Oh, okay. I, I probably put about 10 of them away just, uh, wow. just yesterday. Took well, there's no reason, time. yeah, no reason you shouldn't grow a good watermelon. And, uh, uh the other one that, you know, I, a lot of people like that, uh, is called Sugar Baby. And of the smaller, rounder melons, uh, that has probably been the most vigorous. Um, and like I say, they just take up too much room, and uh, I fight too many weeds in gardening to, to grow anything that spreads out that much. But I'd, I'd look at Charleston Gray for a big variety. I'd look maybe at Sugar Baby for a smaller, rounder to, uh, uh, watermelon. And just be sure that you're, that you're watering super thoroughly when you water then let them go almost to the point of wilting, and then just another very thorough saturation again. Yeah, I, Sugar Baby is one of the ones I planted this year, and it's just a small vine. It, it uh, doesn't seem to be that that vigorous, but they, I, I you know, Charleston Gray, try. Yeah, and and they do like fertilizer, um, and especially in sand, you have very little cation exchange material there to hold the fertilizer in place. So. Until you get more organic material built up, and you can always go back and add some, um, you know, some rock minerals, some things like lava sand and things like that. But uh, be fertilizing fairly frequently. It's also been my observation that most melons, including watermelons, take a lot more fertilizer than pumpkins. And this may be why your pumpkins are doing so much better. Well, that's good to know. I appreciate that. And with Put, the same type of question, do you know a corn variety that's real vigorous, sweet corn? Oh, golly. I fight the raccoon so much. I haven't grown much corn in the past couple of years. Let me get back to you on that. I don't really bring one to mind, um, but I'll uh, I'll take over the news break. Let me run, look at our seed rack and see if uh, I can pick out one that would be most likely to do really well for you. Okay, I appreciate that. And and one last question. We were talking about pruning peach trees last week, and uh-huh. that's on my agenda for tomorrow morning. Um, it Should I lop off the main trunk of 
at the height that I'm going to prune it to, or should I yes. leave that main trunk alone? No, no, take the main no. trunk out and try to leave uh, four to five limbs radiating out like spokes of a wheel. And uh, this is the only time you'll prune that severely. You'll thin in the winter months on a regular basis. But go ahead and cut that main trunk back so that you put the growth outwards. If you want to hang on, we can talk a little more. I've got to go to news here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening, and uh looks like we've got two lines open. You'll get in line right behind Pam and Rosa. You just heard the number, 210-599-5555. I uh, will remind you, this is the tax-free weekend. Uh, they call it the Water Saver Weekend, but it applies to a lot of different things. But uh anywhere you shop for plants and gardening supplies, all plants are free of sales tax this weekend. All things like mulch and compost and soils, you'll pay no sales tax on those as well. You will not pay sales tax on drip irrigation or soaker hoses. I don't care for soaker hoses, but I do like the pressure compensated drip. Um, anyway, all this is uh, sales tax free Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So thinking about stocking up on compost or mulch or if you've got some uh, landscape planting to do, Never hurts to never hurts to save eight <laughs> percent on uh, on those plants. So uh, keep in mind that's uh, and, and I you know the, the state comptroller does not do a real good job of letting everybody know about this. So I won't promise you that every nursery is aware of it, but certainly pointed out to him. You can go for more information online. But uh, again, this uh, tax free weekend on. Uh, plants on compost on mulch and on uh, drip irrigation that sort of thing i don't know why they feel like even house plants are water saving but anyway it includes all plants and all grass so might save some money this weekend or you will save some money if you're out buying any of those things the next two callers are going to be pam and rosa and pam is first in line good morning pam well good morning bob thanks for taking my call thanks for calling um, I live in New Braunfels on the east side of the freeway, so mm-hmm. I'm not in the rocks. I'm in the clay dirt thing. <laughs> right. Um, bought my house about 10 years ago, had grass everywhere. It was nice. Over the years, I'm not really good at watering, um, and I feel like I really don't want to waste it on a French lawn. Um, but now I've got a lot of mud spots, so I've put in winter rye. Like in the winter, I just threw out some stuff, mm-hmm. and it does okay holding the dirt during the winter, but... What do I do for the summer? Is there some kind of grass that doesn't need a whole lot of water that might grow? Well, Bermuda is our most drought tolerant grass. Now you have to you have to be real good about watering to get it started, and it's just now time that the Bermuda. It's really time to plant it because it doesn't like it warm. It likes it hot, but uh, Bermuda is it, it's great in that it. If you want to keep it green, you have to water it, just like every other grass out there. But if you travel, if you get a little, I'm trying to be nice here, if you if you get a little <laughs> ne- neglectful of your yard, shall we say, uh, the Bermuda will just turn brown, and then it will green back up when it gets water. Unlike St. Augustine, which if you get neglectful about it, it will die on you. But Bermuda is probably... Uh, for a lawn grass, for a turf grass, is going to be by far the most drought tolerant. Like I say, it's, it's not going to look beautiful if you don't water it, but once it's established, once it has gotten those roots down, um, 
then it can go for extended periods of time without water and still stay alive. So that is going to be the best of the lawn-type grasses. Now, if you decide you want to go with just a native grass mix and uh, not mow so often as well as not water so often, there are a number of grasses. Probably the best is a grass blend was developed up at the Wildflower Research Center in Austin called Habiturf. And it's a combination of curly mesquite and a couple of other native grasses. And it is probably going to be the most maintenance-free grass uh, as far as mowing and watering that you could possibly plant. Uh, and it is planted from seed. So Habiturf, it, you're not going to make it ever look like a like a golf green or anything like that. Bermuda, you can mow and have a nice-looking yard, especially in a rainy season if you're looking for a more manicured yard. But if you're just looking for, you know, a more of a rural landscape, I guess you'd say, take a look at Habiturf. You'll probably get it from Douglas King Seed Company down here in San Antonio. But uh, they they will ship to your door. You don't have to. It's not a very long drive from New Braunfels. But if you want, uh, Dean can, can ship it directly to you. And uh, that's probably going to be your your lowest maintenance long-term option but like i say it's not not a grass you're going to mow and manicure but it sure keeps a nice looking yard for you with very little maintenance and very little water on your part okay well i'll look into that one on the bermuda if that's what i can find in the area easier um Uh is that a seed or is that when you go buy grass at like one of these box stores i know i shouldn't but those, that's not Bermuda, is it? Um, it depends on which box store, and uh, they ought to stick to selling lumber. Uh, Bermuda can be planted from seed or from sod. Common Bermuda, uh, cheap and easy to plant from seed. If you want one of really dense ones, one of the varieties we call TIFF, T-I-F-F, TIFF Green, TIFF Way, TIFF 419, uh, these have to be planted from existing pieces of sod, and you will find people that sell the little plugs, but just old common Bermuda, um, you might as well just plant it from seed. There's some improved varieties. Once again, I'd send you to uh, Douglas King for the better varieties. But if you're just looking for the cheapest, easiest way out, good old common Bermuda that you can buy seed almost anywhere is all you have to have. Now, I again, it's not perfect. It's going to have chiggers in it. It's going to... Uh, um, not be the prettiest lawn you've ever grown, but it's sure going to be the most drought tolerant and most easy to maintain. Oh, I came from Wimberley, so it was all rocks. So any kind of grass is an improvement. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, again, common Bermuda would be, if you want a, a mowable turf-type grass, that would be a good choice. Uh, if you want more of a lawn that you don't have to do much of anything to, look at Habiturf or look at some of the other native grasses. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I appreciate the call. You get in and have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, Thank we'll you. Talk. I hope you do, too. Thank you so much. Uh, next in line is Rosa. Good morning, Rosa. Good morning. Good morning. Um, let me see. I heard you talking about cedar repel. Yes. And uh-huh. I was wondering, I, I know chiggers, but how about snakes, skunks, or spiders? Um. It, I doubt if it'll do anything against skunks. Uh, snakes do not like it. Uh, there is nothing that's going to 100% guarantee that you're not going to have a snake come around. If I were trying to sneak uh, snakes out of my flower beds and things like that, I'd probably go with a granular form of cedar repel. 
and it's about as good a snake repellent as you're going to find. But uh, it will very definitely work at keeping venom away. Skunks, I don't think anything's going to keep them away. And uh, uh, spiders, it may, uh, I, I think the liquid against spiders, I think the liquid cedar repel would probably work better against them. Oh, wow. Okay. My goodness, we're fighting all kinds of bugs today, aren't we? Well, it's that season. You know, when the season's wonderful for people, when the weather's wonderful for people, it's wonderful for critters as well. So uh, uh, <laughs> I, I guess we could all we could all move to New Zealand if we didn't want to have snakes, but they do have their share of spiders <laughs> and other things. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, Mother, Mother Nature's diversity doesn't always agree with what we want, unfortunately. I know, and I, I shouldn't even complain. But how about caterpillars? I've been seeing these white ones. Uh, woolly, woolly ones and black ones uh, across the driveway, and I've just been smashing them. <laughs> but well, uh, that's that's the most effective control. Now, um, if you want a spray that has to, that if it comes in contact with them, it kills them. Spinosad will do a good job of that. Um, okay. In a targeted area. We sometimes use the BT in a flower garden or a vegetable garden where the caterpillars are a problem. I never just make a broad spectrum spraying with it, though, because if we killed off all the caterpillars, we wouldn't have the beautiful butterflies. But uh, where, you know, if if you've got, you know, tomatoes or something like that and you want to keep the Mm -hmm. hornworms at bay, you can mix up a little BT, but don't spray anything except your tomatoes with that. Oh, Okay. Well, okay, here we go. <laughs> Gonna go into a big fight here. We'll see. Well, yeah, just just be, you know, caterpillars eat plants. <laughs> it's just yeah, um, how much damage are you willing to tolerate? Some caterpillars, especially butterfly larvae, sometimes they target very specific plants. Uh, there's a little plant called the Grove fritillary, and about the only thing their caterpillars eat is passion vine. And then there are things like oh, the beautiful no. black... Oh, I have tons of passion vine. Oh. Well, just keep an eye out for these little orange and black caterpillars. And if they show up, let them have a little bit of it, and you pick them off the rest of it. Uh, there's a beautiful caterpillar or beautiful butterfly called the, uh, I believe it's called the black monarch. And it always lays its eggs on fennel or rue or parsley. Those are about the only things that their caterpillars eat. So... Um, you can, if you're wanting to encourage certain butterflies, you can plant certain plants that will attract their larvae as well as the adults. But just yeah, across the board, um, I just just be selective in your spraying. Anywhere you have a problem, spray there, but leave the rest of your landscape alone. Okay, Doki, gonna try it. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you so much. And you get out and enjoy your beautiful Memorial Day weekend, Russ. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Goodbye. All right. Uh, let's see here. I need to get a break in. Uh, Clint, you're up next. Then it'll be Robin. Right now, though, I get to talk to you about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And I love talking about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems because they just they give you peace of mind when it comes to your roofs. Uh, you always hear you hear a lot of roofing ads and a lot of uh, 
Oh, a lot of talk about, oh, the sun's hurt your roof, the cold has hurt your roof, the hail beats your roof up. If you have a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home like I do, you don't worry about weather. We have one of the roofs on our Shades of Green Nursery. Uh, they're just the best roofs I have ever seen. Ours have stood up to big hail, stood up to all kinds of wind. They just have the most durable metal out there, and their workmanship just second to none. If you're looking for a lifetime roof, do what Danny Bowes over at Southwest Metal Roofing says. Do it for one, do it once, do it for life. That's what Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roofs will do for you. That's why they give the best warranty in the industry because they never have to come back out and fix anything. Lots of different looks too. If you don't like the look of just common standing seam, you can have a number of different colors or you can have roofs that look like slate or ceramic tile or oh, lots of different materials but it's actually that great quality metal that's going to last a lifetime southwest metal roofing systems roofs are energy efficient they'll save you money on your utility bills most insurance companies will give you a discount when you have one of their roofs on your home because they know they're not going to be paying claims and southwest metal roofing systems does new construction as well as roof replacement so if you're building a new home why not put on the only roof you'll ever have to put on that home Quality roof from Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Learn more by giving them a call at 210-822-6868. for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and let's just go straight back to the phone line. It's going to be Clint, and then Robin, and then you, if you dial quickly, 210-599-5555. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? Off to a good start. Another pretty day out there. Oh, most definitely. You know, the more I listen to you, the more questions I come winding up with here. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for, so how can I help today? The cedar repellent, is that the name, or is that Cedarside yeah. the same thing? Or uh, Cedarside's just a, a different brand. The cedar repel has just gotten to be a little bit easier to find. It's one of the products from Nature's Creation, and um, it's one that just about every nursery can find without any problem. The old Cedarside, it's hard hard to find sometimes, but cedar repel, most every nursery uh, will have it on their shelves. Okay, I just tried to uh, Google it. Nothing really came up under cedar repel. It was kind of strange. Well, I went in. Uh, I went in and checked the shelves before I, I did their commercial just to be sure. And uh, yeah, it's out there. In fact, it comes in a little sprayer. You're ready to stick on the end of the hose and go. Uh, does all, I think you said also granules? Yeah, also comes as granules. I think it depends on what you're fighting. If you're putting something in beds, uh, hoping to keep away snakes and things like that, the granulars are better. If you're spraying your grass to take care of the chiggers, the liquid is very definitely better. I'm trying to keep the skeeters away. Well, you can go either way. If you're having a big party, uh, the liquid will be much faster acting. Um, it just, it would take a lot of the dry. Uh, it, it is pretty effective repelling them, but, uh, at what cost? I, I tend to use a good deep free personal repellent and then, uh, you know, going to be entertaining or something like that. Yeah, the cedar repel is a good thing to spray around the yard an hour or two before the gathering. 
All right, good deal. I did uh, listen to that other guy. I think he was up in the hill country. I identified one of my aggravating plants. So that's that silver leaf nightshade. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they. Uh, I don't. I don't know how you get rid of that totally. It's it's just the bane of the hill country for most every grower out there, every hay grower. Right. Now there's another grass that's a weed grass. It looks real similar to Johnson grass. However, the root ball can get up to about 10 inches in diameter what kind of weed grassy weed is that um almost would have to i'm guessing there's there's big blue stem although most people consider that a desirable uh native grass crabgrass tends to stay pretty small it's you know johnson grass will grow four or five feet tall crabgrass or rescue grass as some people call it it rarely gets over six or eight inches, and it it can be a it can be a nuisance in a lawn or places like that. Um, in a pasture, I figure it holds the soil in place until your you know better rangeland grass can kind of take over. But if it's if it's a really big leaf, I'd be looking at big blue stem or a couple of the different native grasses. Okay, now the uh, garden last year I stolarized half of it and it stayed pretty good but i guess the uh weed beak or the uh the compost and the uh, growing grain kicked in and i got the best looking weeds ever again well problem is those weeds the seeds blow in and uh mother nature hates bare ground so she keeps planting stuff that's why i love my push pull hoe but uh uh, my old buddy Alton Grimm used to always say, "I would worry about any soil that didn't have some weeds in it." So it's uh, it, it just makes certain that uh, we don't get overconfident and we get plenty of exercise. And now, would that weed weed fabric be all right? In, in no holes where you need to plant stuff, or that would it, be only good. It tends to just ruin the soil underneath it. I use it where I want to kill everything. If I want to expand, if I want to add another row or two to the garden, I'll put that down for a year. When you pull it up, because it cuts off oxygen as well as cutting off uh, water, uh, the soil just is just nasty what it turns the soil into. You can bring it back, but the only time I'm ever going to use a weed block is on a temporary basis just to smother everything underneath it. Uh, uh, As a matter of fact, years ago we put some down in a bed uh, here at the nursery, and then covered it up with rock. I was pulling weeds out of that rock bed yesterday, and the weeds had put their roots right through the so-called weed block fabric, and uh, just the devil to get them up. It may stop things from coming up underneath, although it will not stop nut sedge, but uh, uh, to me it's very bad for the soil and a total waste of time as far as preventing weeds. Okay, and so a big outdoor uh, greenhouse with, I don't know, screen wire around it, you let it breathe, wouldn't keep the seeds and weeds out? And... Um, yeah, it may be, uh, again, if you're not planting in the ground, but uh, it just it just makes a mess out of the ground. If you, in a greenhouse situation, if you were going to put that down and then put rock or gravel or something on top of it, I guess it probably wouldn't really harm anything that much, but it's just uh, it, it just will turn the soil underneath it uh, into just an anaerobic, you know, antimicrobial situation. And uh, I, I don't know. I just I, like I say, 
other than a temporary use to just kill everything, I've never seen it really beneficial in any application. Well, I wasn't looking for a typical greenhouse where you would grow you know, out of pots and stuff, but just uh-huh. the greenhouse has a weed block and mm-hmm. still using the, 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 soil, the, the soil itself. It depends, yeah. Completely enclosed, like screen wire or something, so it can still breathe and it won't get so hot. So I was kind of thinking. Well, I again, um, if you put rock of any sort on top of it, uh, it it makes it so slick. Uh, And and like I say, it's I I don't know. I I just have never found a reason that it, it was something I really wanted to put down. In an area, in a greenhouse that I want to keep weed-free, boy, once in the spring with the orange oil and vinegar is going to knock out every weed that's trying to come up uh, for a lot less money, and I think you end up long-term with a lot healthier thing. Even in a greenhouse, I think it's great to have healthy soil underneath the benches, uh, um, and, and weed block, you're just never going to have healthy soil underneath weed block. Well, no, um, I wasn't going to use a weed block, but you have the, uh, like a, a garden that's enclosed where the weeds can't get into it, but it's still using the existing soil. It's just kind of a barrier. Um, well, and, and you can certainly do that. Uh, again, uh, my bigger garden, and I just, gosh, haven't had time to grow much of a garden for a couple of years, but uh, I would go around the outside edge of it with about a three-foot-wide strip. I just use black plastic if I want to do that. I guess you could use the the weed block, but uh, yeah, if you're trying to to temporarily keep things out. But I tell you, the Bermuda grass will go right over the top of it. It's uh, <laughs> it's if you're fighting Bermuda and you're down in Bermuda country, um, I'm going to tell you in that case, I think I think plastic will do better than the weed block will for you. Just a good old six mil like they use uh, pouring concrete and things. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. You have a good weekend. You do the same, Clint. It's always good to hear from you. Appreciate you calling. You're certainly welcome. Goodbye. Uh, Robin, hang on just a second. You will be up next, but it looks like I get to talk about Kinetico. I love my Kinetico water softener. I recommend it so highly for a lot of different reasons. I know there are lots and lots of water softener companies out there. And everybody I know except Kinetico, they run on electricity, which is fine as long as you have electricity. But if uh, the power goes out, your water softener stops working. If you get a power surge or a close lightning strike, well, you're probably going to burn out that little computer on that kind of water softener. And then you're in for big trouble and expensive repairs. Kinetico systems run on the kinetic energy in the water. They have no need for electricity. They do not plug in, and they are, they're immune to power outages and power surges, so to speak. They run on the kinetic energy, so you've always got soft water. The other thing I love about them is they don't recharge on a preset schedule. They only recharge when the rosin needs to be recharged. That's going to save you salt. That's going to save a lot of water, which is so important. That's going to save you a lot of money as well. Plus, they're very reasonably priced. They're so sure you'll like them. They'll even give you 90 days to try them, just to be sure. If you're looking for the last water softener you're ever going to own, you need to look at Kinetico. You can give them a call at 210-656-PURE, or you can check them out online if you'd like at KineticoSA.com. 
Telling me you want a water softener like I have. It's a water softener that will last a lifetime for you, be minimum maintenance, and give you that same great soft water you're looking for, a Kinetico. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. My next three callers are going to be Robin and Danny and Paul. Um, let's get started with Robin. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about Aspidistra. Okay. Um, I read on the Internet that it was very hard to divide, and I thought that was strange since it's such a hardy plant. I have... Uh, two beautiful ones in pots, and they're, they need to be taken out of the pots and divided. What is the best way to do that? <laughs> Ignore the Internet. <laughs> it's, okay. I, I can't imagine. Um, they are a little slow-growing, and consequently they're a little more expensive, but I, they're, they're not called cast iron plant just to have a name for them. They're, they're pretty tough and, uh, you can pretty much divide them at will. Now, when you divide them, it's going to take a few months before they really look full and beautiful again. But, uh, I don't know any reason not to divide them. You're, and if you do it at the right time of year, and I'm not real sure what it is, I think it's late summer, you may actually get to see the flowers when you divide them because they have an interesting maroon red flower, but it never comes above the surface of the ground. And people are sometimes really amazed when they go to divide their aspidistra and they find flowers underneath the ground. So, uh, don't hesitate to divide. Like I say, it's going to, you know, if you have full, gorgeous pots and you divide, it's going to take a few months before they're really full and beautiful again. But uh, um, don't let that stop you. It's, it's You're certainly not going to kill them dividing them. I, I don't know why the anybody would say they were hard to divide. They're pretty easy to divide. You'll have to have some pretty strong pruning shears because that underground rhizome is tough and hardy. But... Uh, um, you'll do just fine dividing them. Uh, don't don't hesitate there, Robin. You'll you'll do okay. Okay, I was just going to take a, a a knife and and cut through them. You can do that. Uh, do it very carefully because they are tough, and uh, um, you know it needs to be a very strong knife, uh, like a hunting knife or fillet or you know something that's really tough almost like a bayonet um wow i tend to uh if if i were going to do it i probably would just use some good strong pruning shears be a lot safer okay okay thank you and one more question i have some cannas and they they are the leaves are wavy Mm -hmm. They, they just don't look right and they came back this year they were that way last year and I thought, well, they won't come back that way, but they did. They're just wavy leaves, and they just, you know, they don't look right. Probably just due to the cool nights. Uh, as we get into hotter summer weather, the leaves should, you know, flatten out and uh, um, become perfectly normal in appearance. You have to watch them for caterpillars. There's a big black fuzzy caterpillar called a woolly bear that loves to chew on them, and it'll sometimes cause the leaves to come out distorted. But if they're just not unrolling, if they're just kind of crinkly looking, 
I think it's probably just the weather. I'm not aware of any virus issues that Canada's get. There's some other plants I'd worry about virus if I were seeing that. But I think that they're just waiting for hot weather to really put on their best show. I, I think it's just uh, cool mornings and uh, cool overnight temperatures is why they aren't, aren't as flat-leaved as you're used to. And it's interesting because I have like four different kinds of cannas, mm-hmm. and this one is the only one that does that. It's a just a dark green, plain one. I think it gives gives a red flower. Um, I, but yeah, I find it strange. Every one of them is going to be a little different. Uh, are these dwarf cannas, or are they the big, tall, growing ones? Uh, they should be big and tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, again, I think it's probably just weather, and it's just varietal. Um, if okay. you, I the cannas that I like are the. Uh, Newer ones that are a little bit more compact, they come in a lot of colors nowadays. I think they're called them Fitzers Canada, Canada's or something like that. Cause, uh, uh, and there's some beautiful variegated Canada's out there as well. There, there are, people have done some really good hybridizing in those things. But uh, I think when the weather warms up even more, when it gets to be the kind of weather where you and I are a little bit uncomfortable, I think your Canada's will be perfect. What, what did you say the... Um the the compact ones are called. I believe so, they're the most common series is called Fitzers, P F I T Z E R. Yeah, okay. but there there are several different compact ones out there, and gosh, the colors are just beautiful. And there's nothing that loves the sun more than a canna. But take a look at some of the variegated ones as well. Most of those have orange flowers, but they'll have just practically every shade of red and purple and yellow in the leaves. They're they're gorgeous plants, even when they're not in bloom. Uh huh. I have I have one. It's Good. fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Just I just grow it for the leaves. I, it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And then the blooms are just a bonus. Right. Right. Okay. Um, thank you so much, and appreciate your program greatly. Well, it is my great pleasure to be here for you, and I appreciate you calling. You have a great Memorial Day weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Goodbye. All right. Uh, let's see. Jimmy, are we up to Danny? Is that my next caller? Yes, sir. I believe that's right. Good morning, Danny. It's not Danny. It's Janie. Janie. Okay. Well, <laughs> I know the voice, even if I, even if the name was written down wrong. How's Janie this morning? How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. It's just, uh, you know, it's just. These mornings uh, are just close to perfect. You know, this time last year we were already pushing 100 degrees. It was, uh, I I didn't look this morning, but yesterday morning it was 66 degrees on the porch, and boy, that was comfortable. Well, that's good. Well, my question is, uh, you were talking to a young man about weeds. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, my question is, I've got flowers all against the fence, and but the weeds come back every year, and this year they really came back. And uh, it's getting harder for me because I've been doing this for like 60 years, maybe more, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just getting harder. And I was thinking, I saw it at somewhere where they had granules, mm-hmm. uh, rocks real small to cover the bed. But you said something that that's not really a good idea, right? 
Well, I like rocks, you know, as a as a decorative cover on the soil. I think uh, any kind of mulch is not necessarily going to totally prevent weeds. It'll certainly make them easier to pull. But um, I, weeds are just, Mother Nature hates bare ground. And if you have bare soil, she's going to send in a few weeds to keep it from washing away. But uh, if you want to put down anything from pea gravel to decayed granite to lava sand, all of those things will very definitely suppress the weeds, and it'll make it a lot easier to pull up any of them that do show up. My choice would probably be lava sand because, you know, it's, it's a granular material. It's nice looking. It helps hold moisture or bring moisture to the soil even. And um, it has what we call a high cation exchange capacity. It helps hold nutrients in the soil until your plants are ready to use them. So uh, I I don't know that I would be buying something like that over the Internet, but uh, lava sand is something you can find at most any nursery. And uh, it's going to be a, a good product to help your plants and suppress the weeds at the same time. Well, Plus today you don't... Have... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was thinking I put in some of that material, that black material. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That that'll now that'll ruin the soil underneath it, and your flowers won't grow well. Oh, and it, well. And it won't stop the weeds. The weeds will blow in uh, and germinate on top of it. It might keep things from coming up from underneath. But I've seen some real weed patches. I've seen it in everything from plastic grass to uh, you know places where people put down they they call it weed block fabric and like i say it might stop a few of the weeds coming up from underneath but boy the weed seeds land on top and they just love it and they are hard to pull out they get their roots down through that fabric and uh it's really hard to pull those weeds out or even to cut them off so what is that sand that i could get it's called lava sand it's just a very fine granular lava and it suppresses the weeds, and what weeds come up through it, they'll be much easier to pull up. And it's actually very good for the soil rather than being bad for the soil. Okay. Okay, i got another question. Uh, I've got a rose bush that I like a whole lot. I cut some uh, pieces and put them in a pot so mm-hmm. that I could get some more of those roses. But I have it under a tree because I'm... I've heard that you don't put it out there where the sun is. Is that correct? correct? Yes, ma'am, that is correct. Uh, Once they get some roots going, then they will love the sun, but they will root much better in a shady spot. You're absolutely right. Uh, You probably inherited uh, your mother or your grandmother's touch where you can root well in soil. I've always rooted rose cuttings in that white volcanic material called perlite, but uh, you give it a try that way. If for whatever reason they don't root well, uh, call me and we'll talk about using perlite to root your cuttings. But no, in, well, in a I shady spot, it. yeah. I tried that, but I, I didn't have no luck with it. I don't well, know why, but I just didn't. You, anyway, you, I've got it under the tree, and it's been like that for about two weeks, and I'm waiting for it to grow up, you know. Mm-hmm. It hasn't gotten up higher. So I, I said, how long does it take for the normally to- Normally about six weeks. About six oh. weeks for them to form good roots. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Bob. You helped me a lot, and I'm glad that that man asked you about the weeds. Like <laughs> I said, I'm already going to be 86 this month, and 
I can't do it as much as I well, do. Well, it may be not, but that's what keeps you young, Janie. So I think you're 86 years young, not 86 years old. So keep okay. gardening, and we'll be talking about 106 one of these days. <laughs> All right. You have a good day, okay? You do the same, Janie. It's always good to hear from you. Thank you so much. Goodbye. All right, let's get a break out of the way here, and Paul will be next in line. Looks like I get to talk to you about Medina agriculture, and you know I love talking about Medina. 56, 57 years, something like that. They've been helping gardeners around the world, right here from our part of the world. Medina Ag started just west of San Antonio. Their plant's over just outside of Hondo, and let me tell you, they make a lot of great products, whether you're working on a 1,000 acres or whether you're working on your backyard. Great fertilizers like both of the Grow and Green products, liquid products like the Has to Grow products. Their liquid fish blend is an outstanding product for plants in containers as well as for flower beds and vegetable gardens and things like that. Medina also makes products to soften and loosen the soil like the Medina Plus and the original Medina Soil Activator. And when it comes to packaging different uh, products, I can't say they make orange oil or molasses, but they sure package some of the best out there. If you want to see a complete list of their products, simply go to medinaag.com. Find these products at your favorite nursery or garden center, but do keep in mind they don't do any good while they're still staying in the bag or bottle. You've got to get them out on your landscape, and this is going to be a great weekend to get out and make use of fine products from Medina. That's Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, getting close to 8 o'clock, at which point we will have our visit with the Dirt Doctor, but time for probably a couple of more calls. Uh, Paul is in line first. If you want to grab one of those lines, uh, probably probably time for a couple of calls. You know the number, 210-599-5555. And let's say good morning, Paul. It is beautiful morning. Thanks, yes, Bob. it is. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I'm seeing uh, last year I saw some, and then this year again, I real small black ants. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you familiar with what those might be and anything to worry about? Oh, there are so many different kinds of ants. Um, as long as they're not fire ants, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be overly concerned about them. Um, they're in the house, you know, sugar ants can be so, something of a problem. We make a bait for them with uh, usually with borax and sugar. Outside, of course, beneficial nematodes will take care of, I think, every kind of ant around. But uh, I, they're, they're not destructive in any way, I guess. It probably would be the best way to put it. They may become a nuisance, but uh, they're not anything that I would really worry about. Okay, because they're in the pots is where I saw them last year and then again this year. And I was looking at the uh, key lime, uh-huh. and um, they're just, you know, very small, very active, and thousands of them. So, But they're in, the, they're in pots is where I typically see them. I, I would worry that they may be fire ants because fire ants really love to get in pots like that. And they will ultimately kind of waterproof the soil. Your plants will not do well if they start putting a colony in there, I would make up a very dilute solution of orange oil and water. I'd put maybe to a gallon of water, I'd put a teaspoon or two of orange oil in there and just pour that through the plants. Don't make it any stronger. You could burn the roots of things if you use too much orange oil. 
Uh, but that should kill the ants without bothering your plants at all. But no, I really wouldn't want colonies of any kind of ants in the pots. Now, if uh, you have pots that don't have plants in them but are full of soil waiting to be planted for the warm season or something, then you can make a stronger solution of orange oil and kill them even more quickly. But uh, where you have existing things like citrus trees and things like that, make it fairly dilute, maybe a tablespoon per gallon. Just use that to water your plants, and that will generally get rid of the ants. Okay, so a tablespoon per gallon orange Teaspoon. Oil. Teaspoon per teaspoon. gallon of orange okay. oil, yeah. And the reason I was down look at that plant is I got two leaves. One, one is curled up quite tight, and then the other one's right next to it is starting to curl up. What am I seeing there? Um, if you unroll that leaf, does it have any webbing inside of it, or is it uh, just green leaf that's kind of rolled on itself? No, there's something growing in there. Uh, it's not webbing, uh, but something appears to be taking yeah. root there. It's it's probably a caterpillar of some sort. Uh, they kind of roll up around them and kind of stitch them together. Uh, probably not a serious problem. If you want to spray a little spinosad, I think you'll control them pretty quickly that way. Uh, it, the other thing that can cause leaves to roll, uh, number one, is just wind and low humidity. Uh, sometimes real cool nighttime temperatures will cause the leaves to roll to some extent. But if they're really tightly rolled, there probably is a little insect of some sort in there. And uh, spinosad is what I would use to control them. Okay, because I lost lost one last year to to scale. Just got totally just lost the plant. Oh, we didn't want that happen to this one. Yeah, well, spinosad soap. Uh, the thing about scale, once the scale matures, it sort of armors itself. It puts a thick, oh, almost a shell like over itself, and uh, can be hard to get anything to go through that. But the young scale are what we call crawlers. They're actually moving. They're actually active moving around for a place that they're looking to settle down, so to speak, and produce more. Uh, Spinosad soap sprayed every couple of weeks. If you see any scale, will usually totally take care of the problem. Okay. Got it. Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. You get out and enjoy your Memorial Day. Thanks for the call, Paul. Appreciate take it. Care, you too. Bye. All right, I uh, don't really have time for another call. We're down to just a little over a minute before news time. We'll remind you that uh, we are in the middle of our uh, drive we call Operation Interdependence over at KTSA, co-sponsored by Kitchen Designs by Giovanni, and uh, collecting items that our troops uh, overseas, around the world, at home, troops everywhere have uh, have needs that we have the pleasure of helping them out with. So. Um, virtually all of our sponsors are drop-off locations uh, for items. And just go to KTSA.com. You'll find a complete list of the things that uh, troops would like to receive and uh, just a good thing to do. And uh, well, this goes on till the 4th of July, and it's uh, never a bad time to be thankful for all the freedoms we have. We remember the men and women that have given their lives this weekend to ensure that we can continue to live in freedom. And uh, anyway, it's just Memorial Day is something certainly worth celebrating. Operation Interdependence is uh, 
uh, a good thing to do to help uh, out our troops that are out there on the front lines protecting us these days. And just uh, right after the news here, we'll be visiting with the Dirt Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett, so hope you'll stick around. We'll save the last 30 minutes or so of the show for more questions. And, uh, and of course, we do this again tomorrow morning. But uh, right now, hoping you're making plans to get out and enjoy because it is a beautiful day out there this is ktsa radio in san antonio texas south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air talk to bob now 210-599-5555 all right now because uh well we'll save the last 30 minutes or so of the show for more questions and then we'll do all this again tomorrow morning with those questions but right now we have the pleasure of talking to the Dirt Doctor. Good morning, Howard Garrett. Good morning, gardeners. It is a beautiful day out there. Same here. It's uh, very nice. We uh, don't even have a lot of mosquitoes around. I, <laughs> I did spray some uh, liquid uh, cedar product around all over the place. I started to put out garlic also, but mm-hmm. uh, I didn't notice a lot of mosquitoes, so I just left it like that. So, so far, so good, knock on wood. <laughs> well, I, it just all depends on, it depends on the day, I swear. Sometimes it seems like the gnats are what are driving me crazier than the mosquitoes have been lately. And, uh, I again, I think the garlic, I think uh, the cedar, things like that help at least to some degree with that. But... I was out doing some weed eating yesterday, and let me tell you what—it was the gnats that were making my life miserable. And the uh, gnats are interesting. I wonder—you uh, know—we still don't have a, a, a good consumer uh, size on the market, but the liquid BTI sprayed around mm-hmm. would probably take care of those gnats. I would think so. It uh, certainly works on—you know—the fungus gnats that get in. Uh, soil of plants it works on the sewer gnats that get down and you know pea traps underneath our sinks and things like that and i quite honestly i'm not sure i'm sure they are they come out of the soil but um i'm i'm not real sure what the best way to go after the others are and uh it's just i don't know how they can try to get into your eyes to try to get into your ears anybody who spends a lot of time outside certainly knows what we're talking about yeah, it's uh, there's always some kind of pest running around. It seems to be varying this year. I'm, I'm seeing a few holes in leaves of plants mm-hmm. and hit-and-run artists and uh, those gnats and also ants. People are getting a lot of reports about various kinds of sugar ants, small ants. I heard one of your listeners call about that same thing. They yeah. might try the cinnamon, cinnamon dusted or cinnamon mixed in water and sprayed out is a pretty good repellent and of course those boric acid uh laced baits work pretty Mm -hmm. well also just i think boric acid is a little toxic on on plants so i and i recommend that happen you know inside uh frequently in fact uh tell people you can make your own with a little boric acid and sugar I've had people that mixed uh, boric acid with a little bit of orange juice and said that that worked well against carpenter ants. So uh, there, people don't have to turn to all the poisons to get them under control. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, the the uh, commercial companies, the one I've worked with, uses a bait that's a borate uh, uh-huh. 
product. It's a little less toxic than just pure boric acid. So that's a that's another way to go uh, as well. And I've had luck in the past, and for some reason it seems to vary in its efficacy. But the mixture of of uh, Arm and Hammer uh, detergent and sugar, kind of a 50-50 mix, will attract and, and kill roaches. And I don't know if if that kind of put around dusted where people are having a real uh-huh. problem with ants inside the house, not so much yeah. out, outside. That might also <clears throat> be a, an effective way to go. But, it would certainly... Yeah, certainly be worth a try. Well, well, tell us how the open house, uh, how all that uh, went. Well, it was good. We had a great um, group of people that uh, came by. Everybody was interested in uh, all the stuff. We're going to have <coughs> three more videos. I've shot them. They haven't been put up yet, but they're, they'll be put up in the uh, members area on, <coughs> on DirtDoctor.com showing the uh, metal sculpture, uh, Ace Cordell, who uh, is the uh, metal uh, sculpture artist, brought about four more pieces over yesterday. And uh, they look great, and my garden's going to be a a real uh, battle with myself to not buy more (laughs) of them myself. I already own two of them. Uh And then my my, uh, buddy that does the wood sculpture, he does did some beautiful inlaid uh, little tables and bowls and all there there and so I shot all those uh, all that stuff into videos that'll be in the members area sometime as soon as Maggie can get it put up. So another uh, another good to reason to join the Organic Club of the, of America. It's just such a reasonable price, and you get so much in return. And uh, you know you're just supporting a very good cause when you do that and uh, when you buy the art you're supporting the organic club of america and uh torque so there are just all sorts of good things going on around the garrett household these days yeah if anybody's uh, interested in anything they, they see in the videos and weren't at the event last night they can email me uh info at dirtdoctor.com or howard at dirtdoctor.com either one and we can send information about the pricing and how it all works, all that uh, kind of thing. But anyway, it was fun. It was a really good group that showed up, and weather was good, and the mosquito, uh, the mosquitoes didn't uh, decide to come. <laughs> I tell people all the time, and I'm sure you do too, that mosquitoes are so tough to control because they, they can adapt to mm-hmm. anything. Yep. And it doesn't matter. I think even BTI, they they have a tendency to be able to adapt to it. You know, the the traps, the stagnant water in, in five-gallon buckets with BTI put in it seems mm-hmm. to work just perfectly for a while. And then all of a sudden, one day, here you see a bunch of mosquitoes show up again. And I don't know whether they, they get smart enough to or whatever to avoid it or whether they can actually become immune to the bti well i you know i wish that someday somehow somebody would come up with a sort of a self-emptying trap that like every three days just tumps itself out and then refills with water because that's that's the one thing they can't adapt to, and that is getting getting dumped out where they dry out before they've uh, formed the adult. And uh, that 
you know that that will always work. The uh, and if if the BTI stops working and you know dumping your traps periodically, it's I don't know what does it take in most cases two or three days. How long does it take from the time a egg is laid until the adult mosquito hatches out or be, or becomes About an adult time, mosquito? It's pretty, yeah, it's a short you know, short period of time. So yeah, and I guess it it varies depending on what species of mosquito it is. Yeah, we. I, I don't know. One question. Go ahead. I had one question for you on turf. Uh, I'm just curious. You you um, talk about drought tolerant uh, grasses, and you don't mention buffalo grass. Is there something I'm missing there? Because Most, buffalo grass is about twice as uh, drought tolerant as Bermuda grass. Yeah. Well, and and the. Uh, problem that I have seen, and no buffalo grass, I, I definitely should mention it more, but most people have at least some Bermuda, and uh, our experience with buffalo grass is it just doesn't compete well with Bermuda, and if Mother Nature gives us good rains and all, the uh, the Bermuda always seems to manage to dominate it. Now, if you can get a pure stand of it and keep the Bermuda out, um, it's it's an outstanding grass, but uh, we've we've had a number of customers that just almost gave up and uh, let the Bermuda dominate. Now, in in droughty conditions, which we've certainly had the past couple of years, yeah, the buffalo, uh, the turf type buffalo grasses, uh, you know, do real well. Um, but it's they it's just been a matter of uh, competition with with Bermuda, and the Bermuda has has won out in a number of yards. Uh, where people I know have tried to maintain a pure stand of buffalo grass, and uh, uh, they, they've had trouble with it. Well, I'm all, I've, you know, I've, I've, it's kind of a personal point to me because the universities, that one in, in Texas especially, keeps bad-mouthing uh, buffalo grass from the standpoint of Bermuda invading, and I've never worried about that at all. I've, I've seen a lot of lawns and a lot of commercial places where the buffalo grass and Bermuda are growing together, and I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't quite un understand that objection. And if you don't fertilize and if you don't water so much, the buffalo will actually uh, dominate the, the uh, Bermuda grass. Yeah, we we probably need to go more. I, I did not realize that that certain institution that we don't care so much for i didn't realize that they were they were putting that out as well but uh and it may just be that uh um that people have gotten a little carried away with fertilizing and watering but uh it, it just hasn't caught on down here i guess you'd say and uh i need to research a little bit more and and find out why it's not more commonly used but uh most of the turf companies don't uh don't grow it down around here so I I definitely need to do some more research there. I certainly will. Well, it's a paradigm problem. It's what it is. The way the way that the turf grasses are grown, they fertilize the heck out of it. Yeah. And to get it, you know, into a sellable form as quickly as they can, and and then that's passed on to the uh, contractors and to the homeowners. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it is. How much fertilizer can we sell? I think that's, that's oh, yeah. part of it. And, and buffalo grass is just such an incredibly low maintenance uh, grass. You you can literally stop watering it, and mm -hmm. it can go through months of a hundred degree weather, and it'll be brown. It'll be that 
orangey, golden brown, and as soon as it gets watered, it comes right back. Bermuda won't do that. Bermuda will die. So it's um, it's by far the toughest of the grasses. I just I really have been on a campaign for a long time. I should have mentioned this to you before, maybe this way. But uh, well, I'll, yeah, I I'll am, talk to I'm a some huge of our fan. Yeah, I'll I will research it further. I just uh, um, I don't know. I just we don't see it advertised or offered very often, and uh, people may just not be using it correctly, and they may be you know, increasing the fertility too much. I just, I, and I base my comments on a handful of situations, but I, I can't say that I've researched it widely, and I definitely will do, will do more of it and, uh, and, and find out. I know people have done this habit turf that they came up with up in uh, Austin has turned out to be pretty popular for people that just want a, um, you know, a grass that they just be more of a, a no-mow type of grass situation and it looks more like you know almost a pasture grass but uh it's turned out to be one of the lowest maintenance uh combinations uh that, that we've found around this place and that's probably the most popular where people are looking for something that just uh doesn't need water and doesn't need much maintenance at all so but i'll, I'll take a, a new look at the at the uh, buffalo grasses and uh and see what people think of them down here well, of course, the main uh, one of the main uh, ingredients in that uh, mix you're talking about is buffalo grass. Exactly, so, along uh, with pearly mesquite. It's and, just, yeah, yeah. It's just like the uh, the fact that we have so few people, other than you know you and me and the organic community, recommending the organic stuff because it's not taught in the universities, and it's the same oh, yeah. thing with buffalo grass. The universities are bad mouthing buffalo grass um, and it then goes to the contractors and then that goes to the retail stores and that goes to the homeowners but it's yeah. um, without question whether you lay it solid sod or put it in by seed it's my recommended way to go well if A&M doesn't like it that's that that's a big point in favor uh, for me liking it so I I'll happily have, oh, to, no, they have big, to take big a mouth, bad, bad mouth it. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't like it at all. And yeah. I think I think a big part of it is the relationship to uh, the industry, the paradigm, and the way things are set. And there's always this, um, you know, aversion, aversion to changing the paradigm, doing something completely different. Of course, it right. won't grow in the shade, but Bermuda grass won't grow in the shade either. So exactly, yep, yep. It's kind of like the anyway. yeah, the 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 same ones that say, oh, don't don't fertilize uh, early and uh, you know plant your grass and wait thirty days before you fertilize it. And tell people with organics, put your fertilizer down first and then plant whatever kind of grass you like. And you and I are both big fans of fertilizing much earlier in the year so uh i i I will definitely research it uh, further and we'll have ongoing discussions about it um um, one (laughs) one thing that i kind of laugh at and you tell me what you think totally different subject but somebody out there is promoting that if people will just put a few pots of lemongrass and maybe some of the uh, citronella geranium around that the mosquitoes won't come around and 
I've not found that growing the plants, unless you have just a forest of them, um, has really worked that well. I, um, but there's somebody out there saying, oh, yeah, you just put a pot of lemongrass on your patio and you'll never have mosquitoes. Do you think the, the, there's anything to that? No, it's the same thing uh, that we were just talking about. It's a promotion, a commercial mm-hmm. promotion to sell those plants. Right. You can plant the whole yard in those plants, <laughs> and it won't repel uh, mosquitoes. No, it doesn't do well, any good at all. You've got, you've uh, got to have the active ingredient in the plant available, yep. you know, the essential oil or whatever spray to, for it to do any good. Same thing with garlic. People say, you know, planting garlic in their vegetable garden mm-hmm. around uh, tomatoes and around plants will help ward off uh, insects, and there's nothing to that at all. Absolutely nothing at all. You've well, got to have you got to have the ingredients in the garlic <laughs> sprayed and touching the plants for it to do any good. Oh well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not mistaken on that because uh, uh, it, it's just daily we have people that think if they plant lemon verbena or lemongrass or uh, citronella geraniums or whatever that they won't ever have a mosquito problem again. I my my line is always if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, and that's been exactly my experience with that. So I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, you've had the same experience with that. They they make some great products out of them, uh, some of the repellents and things like that of the extracted oils, but. Uh, what my, my common line has been to tell people, well, I must say, I've never seen a mosquito land on a, uh, you know, on a citronella, but they sure do buzz around it a lot. So, yeah, that's uh, that's been our experience as well. Um, uh, you probably also well, the lemon that... grass, the lemon grass and the lemon uh, verbena and the lemon uh, balm, they're great to put in your herb tea, mm-hmm. but I don't think that they're going to repel any insects in your garden. <laughs> Uh, and that's my feeling, and uh, I love Thai food, and they use, of course, a lot of lemongrass in that, and uh, they're they're very good things to do with it, but it's, uh, again, it's somebody's just promotion that uh, if you just have a few of those, you won't you won't have any mosquitoes, so I, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you, your experience has been the same, because if, if it were that easy, uh, it, we sure wouldn't have the mosquito problems that, uh, that we do. One other thing I had a, a caller early this morning ask about was he uh, mentioned that in crepe myrtles that some of them shedding bark, which it told him is perfectly normal, but said he had what looked like some little tunnels, uh, some little frass underneath the bark. And um, I have never seen ants be that much of a problem, or at first he thought it was termites, but I said, no, I don't think it would ever be a a termite. Do you know of any kind of borer or anything that's ever a problem in crepe myrtles? No, I've seen that uh, a little tiny bit here and there, but it's always on a crepe myrtle that's in stress. Yeah. That's too deep in the ground, which is what you know most crepe myrtles are. Most yeah, of that, that's uh, exactly what I told them. You get yeah. them, and then, yeah, and then plant it too deeply, but that would just be a a minor cosmetic kind of thing, even if you uh, even if you have it, the big problem and the, the advice on what to do about it is just horrible. Is that white uh, scale insect that uh, gets on the trees, and I've seen that here in Dallas a uh, mm-hmm. fair amount, but it's never on trees uh, except the ones that are too deep in the ground and, and yep. are in stress. 
Yeah, and that goes for aphids. That goes for most of the other things that show up. But uh, I think we see that virtually 100% of the crepe myrtles out there are planted too deeply when they get to the nurseries, and then half the time the landscapers plant them even deeper. And uh, that's that's certainly our recommendation. Take care of that problem, and everything else just kind of goes away. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, continues to be a problem related to this is that crepe myrtles are so darn tough, they can tolerate to a great degree the abuse of being too deep in the ground. And it's just the last several years that uh, the scale and the relate and aphids in some cases and and related to both those things, the black sooty mole has become mm-hmm. more and more of a problem. And I think it probably is because they are ending up being deeper and deeper in the uh, pots or in the bald and burlap situation when the plants are purchased, uh-huh. and then on the site. You just get deeper and deeper in the in the ground. It's a big problem. It's not getting any better. In fact, the people in the growing industry that um, several of us have tried to talk to, mm-hmm. they're not only not interested in solving the problem, they get mad at you if you bring it up. Yeah. It's a it's a really really curious situation. Well, in that category, besides crepe myrtles, the lace bark elms and the Chinese pistachios and some of those kind of trees, the uh, the hybrid maples, that's another problem. Of course, they're they're a bad plant to start with, and then, right. then they get planted too deep in addition to that, and you end up with a, a maximum life of those things of about <laughs> 10 years or something. Right. It, it, it's, a, it's a huge problem that's not getting any better. Well, and I think so much of it started when so many of the growers uh, stopped paying their help hourly wages and started yep. paying by yep. the piece. And so they're the only incentive is see how fast you can do it. And it's a whole lot easier just to grab that, you know, row run or grab that seedling or whatever, stick it all the way down in the pot and dump the soil around it, move on to the next one. And uh, I think I think that has contributed a great deal to the problems. And I don't know why, I guess grape myrtles and trees is just the nature of handling them. We don't see it quite as much in shrubs that are branched from the base, like viburnums and pittosporum and things like that. But, uh, boy, the, the trees and the grape myrtles, uh, it's just like you say, 100% of them, you know, start out too deep. And they, like they say, they tolerate it for a while, but... Uh, it's just amazing how much better they do when they wind up at the right level. And we tell people, you know, expose it and actually put them slightly above ground level. And uh, people who do that seem to have extremely good results with them. Well, I think that uh, deal that you're talking about, about putting them too deep when they're planted, um, it probably one is, like you're saying, it, it goes faster. But two is I think they actually do it on purpose to a degree because it holds it straight up and in the pot better. It doesn't flop over. And when you have a plant that's planted too deeply in the soil, it tends to grow more like a ground sprout, real Uh straight. And a lot of the landscape architects and other people, people buying the plants, like that incredibly straight growth of the trunk. I, I prefer more interesting trunks. My, 
myself, <laughs> but the industry likes them straighter, straighter the better. And so sticking them real deep in the soil, I think, kind of uh, helps create that situation. That would make sense as well. And on crepe myrtles, you know, I I recommend, in fact, most things like that. I tell people that I prefer to see a multi-trunk plant because how many times have we seen a single-trunk crepe myrtle or other things that gets the top snapped out of it in a storm, and then it takes a long time, if ever, for the plant to look nice again. And I think on a multi-trunk crepe myrtle, I don't think I've ever ever seen storm damage on them, and so... Uh, that's that's another thing I tell people about. Some people, like you say, just want that that single trunk look, but uh, I long term I don't think it works out as well. Well, you know that that plant is naturally a bush mm-hmm. uh, rather than a tree, really. So that's, that's why you get a better situation if you got the multi trunks on the crepe myrtles. I normally yeah. don't recommend multi trunk trees. Yeah. Because you end up with real tight V's at the bottom and things like that. I learned that the hard way. I used to design uh, gardens and specifically put on the plan and my specs mm-hmm. for the red oaks to be multi-trunk. Yeah. And yeah. I created a lot of problems because those <laughs> multi-trunks end up having tight V's and problems and, and part of the tree trying to fall apart at some yeah. point. But cray myrtles <laughs> is a different story because they're bushes, really. Oh, yeah whole different story and i feel the same way about citrus uh people that want good production and of course you guys don't grow as much citrus in the landscape and i don't know there probably won't be as much planted after our two cold winters but up until 2021 you walk around the neighborhoods and see beautiful lemons and uh various other things but i always tell people you know if you want the most production you want that to get the maximum number of fruits, uh, it's always going to be from a bush, not from a single trunk tree. Well, we'll try to keep up the fight. <laughs> and remember to tell your listeners tomorrow that uh, all across Texas that this is uh, the uh, the tax-free weekend and all plants are exempt from sales tax along with uh, soils, mulches, compost. And uh, any time we can save 8% or so, uh, depending on uh, how much your local tax is, is not a bad thing. So a good reason to get out and visit a good nursery this weekend. I think that's a great plan. Very good. Well, Howard, it's uh, always a pleasure. Hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day. And uh, give all the pets a, a pet for me and all the ladies a hug. And we'll look forward to doing it again next Saturday. Enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time. You guys enjoy those healthy gardens out there. We'll do our very best. Thank you, sir. Glad your event Thank went you. well. I'd love look forward to seeing some videos of it. And uh, anyway, look forward to our next visit. And everybody else, we've got about 25 minutes left in the show. Time for some more phone calls. You know the number, 210-599-5555. We need to get a commercial break in here, and we'll be right back with calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to a few more minutes of gardening. Looks like we're going to talk to Jay and Kim and Chris. If you're just joining me, uh, remember that this is uh, the weekend. Uh, they call it water saver, but, uh, I, you know, it's more than just things that save water, but. All plants are sales tax-free uh, today, tomorrow, and Monday. 
mulches, compost, soil, drip irrigation, all those products are without sales tax this weekend. So if you got a big gardening project going on or if you just want to stock up on a bunch of compost and other things, you'll... Uh, You'll save that tax uh, for the next uh, three days, so keep that in mind. Uh, let's get back to the phone calls. Looks like it's going to be uh, Jay and Kim and Chris, and Jay is first in line. Good morning, Jay. Morning, Bob. I have a Good couple of questions. Uh, okay. When would be the best time to prune my sage and take cuttings for it to propagate it? Best time to take cuttings is typically in the fall, October, November, Technically, you can do it any time the wood is mature. You do not want that soft, succulent growth, but most of the commercial people, October is the month that they tend to take cuttings on both sage and uh, uh, and on most woody shrubs. Now, we're talking what they call the purple sage, the sinisa. Is that the type of sage we're speaking of? Yeah, the purple sage with the uh, dark green foliage. Yeah. Um, the As far as pruning... Probably the best time is early spring, um, uh, and if you're planting it, you know, grow the new compact forms that require very little pruning, but typically it blooms on uh, new growth. Well, it may bloom some on old, but some on new, but if it really needs to be pruned, probably about February is going to be about the time to do it, um, and and like I say, probably the best time to actually propagate it is going to be the October-November period. Okay, and then propagate it with the uh, air layers or perlite, and you said using the the woody bark, not the new shoots. Yeah, using the woodier part, and uh, the commercial growers either use uh, good coarse sand or use perlite. Um, I guess you could air layer it, but the stems are thin enough that that's that's a little tougher to do. Air layering is usually done on something that's with a little bit thicker stem, but uh, I don't know why you couldn't just, you know, slice some bark off the side, but uh, uh, it, it grows pretty easily from cuttings at that time of the year. I would take you cuttings, I'd soak them in garret juice, maybe even add a little bit of extra liquid seaweed to it for 30 minutes or so, and then you'll, you'll probably have about 60% success rate back in the Days when I propagated for a big nursery up in Dallas, that's that's what we did. Probably got about 60% on Sinesis. Awesome, awesome. Okay, and thank you, Bob. And then uh, the I have some plumeria that I planted in, and I guess one of them had gotten a little too cold over, over the wintertime uh-huh. while it was uh, dug up out of the ground. Um, I, I tried cutting it back. Is there any chance that it'll grow out of the, uh, like, Half of it, half of the stem cut down to where there's not any of the green part where the uh, leaves and the flowers pop out of. Is the stem dry or is the stem still have plenty of moisture in it? It had plenty of moisture in it. Yeah, it will probably come out. Uh, one thing that's good anytime you have freeze damage like that is dust it fairly heavily with cinnamon. Um, the thing that usually winds up killing them is they get a bacterial infection in where that tissue starts to deteriorate. And believe it or not, cinnamon is one of the best antibacterial things we've got going out there. So uh, I would, anywhere you cut, I dust it fairly heavily with just, uh, you know, kitchen cinnamon, and it most likely will come out for you. Okay, awesome. Last question. I have a pomegranate tree. It is in full fruit, Uh but the little pot that it's in is just, it, it it gets tipped over quite a bit when we get storms. Is there is it safe to transplant it into a bigger pot while it's, oh, got, yeah. while it's in fruiting? Or? 
Yeah, it's it. You're not disturbing the roots, so uh, um, that's you know that's just repotting is all you're doing. And if it is badly root bound on a woody shrub, uh, you probably want to take a you know sheetrock knife or something or other and slice down one side of the root ball just to get the roots spreading out. But you can do that 365 days a year. And, uh, of course, if you want to put it in the ground, pomegranates are pretty much 100% cold hardy here. And uh, they make a make a bigger shrub that's easier to maintain. And if you're going to get quality fruit, you've got to water regularly. And uh, it sounds like yours is root-bound to the point that you're struggling to keep it watered. So uh, I, I would very definitely either go to a bigger pot not hugely bigger but maybe two or three inches bigger in diameter or you know put it in the ground if you like i think you get much better quality fruit either way and much less maintenance yeah awesome awesome yeah i got about a dozen fruit from it last year and i've probably got about two dozen on it this year so very awesome, good Bob, well, i appreciate it yes sir yeah just just remember the moisture because most people uh, they get plants that produce well, but then the fruit isn't real good quality, and that's a matter of just letting it get true dry between waterings. But uh sounds like you know what you're doing, so uh, get out and enjoy. It's going to be a great weekend to repot, plant, anything else you want to do out there. Have a great day, Bob. You too, Jay. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, next in line is Kim. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Bob. Um, this is another question regarding plumerias. But okay. the gentleman from your last call, if he hopefully he's still listening, um, as long as he got back to clean the clean white wood where he had that nice milky sap, right. and make sure to set it at a forty five degree angle so that mm-hmm. you know if it and stuff water won't sit and get that pith all wet and you know cause continuous you know continuous good, cause problems. Good points. It sounds like you're a pretty good, good uh, plumeria grower. Oh well. I've got a couple hundred around here, so yeah. <laughs> you, you must have a little Hawaiian blood in you somewhere <laughs> back there. <laughs> I say I have a problem. I say I have a problem, but <laughs> a little. Anyway, but I have a question. My, a friend of mine, actually, and he's a grower here um, in the area. He has a plumeria grove, and unfortunately, he um, was a victim of some overspray of a neighbor who was spraying a fence line with Roundup. Uh-huh. Um, and I got onto some of his plants, and he, at, at this point, and this was like last year, so now as they're coming back out, the leaves are deformed. Um, he's getting, you know, just nothing is, everything's kind of smaller and um, it, irregular, you know, just, I guess, what you'd see from an herbicide damage. So right. my question to you, um, and I kind of recommended the sick tree treatment to him, um, just to kind of get things going to see if, if there would be any way to reverse it. But I told him I'd give you a call to see if there's anything that you would recommend, or does he just, if it, if he were to cut those tips off, would it help, or is this something that's already systemically in the plant? Um, anyway. The plant, the plant will grow out of it. It will eventually, it hasn't messed up the genetics of the plant, so to speak. Uh, it's just a matter of getting the, you know, what they say about most forms of uh, pollution is the answer to pollution is dilution. And that's the same thing with herbicide in a plant. As time goes on and it's more and more diluted um, and to some extent broken down, 
uh, the better the plants will do. Now, there are microorganisms, bacteria in particular, that do denature and break down Roundup. If there's any, if, I, I can never say there's anything good about Roundup, but at least it's better than some of the other materials that just simply don't go away in nature. Some of these uh, sulfonated urea herbicides that just, they're going to be in the soil forever. At least Roundup does eventually break down and Anything that supports microbial life will help with that. So I would recommend, you know, spraying with some molasses. I would uh, try to encourage as much growth as possible because the plants will ultimately come out of it. They're not permanently deformed. And um, I don't know it might help appearance-wise to cut off the very distorted areas but i don't think that's necessarily going to help it come out any faster and i don't think it's you know bleeding anything back down into the plant at this plant at just point it just uh it just has to grow out of it and eventually they will go back to uh, making good growth i i would certainly be talking to the source of the overspray about a little compensation yeah. for all the uh all the pain and suffering that he's going through but that's um that's sadly a very common problem in today's world from idiots that haven't learned not to use this stuff, including municipal districts as well as individuals. So that, that's just my feeling about it. But I, I certainly wouldn't give up on the plants. I think ultimately, three, four years down the road, you won't see a lot of sign of what happened. All right. Well, I will definitely pass that on to him, and um, I appreciate the the information. And <laughs> And... In in repotting, it might be good, um, and I don't know this for a fact, but uh, when we're trying to remediate various kinds of uh, damage, both from pesticides and from herbicides, charcoal seems to be a really good thing to have in the soil. So as he repots, or if he, uh, uh, you know, if he he bare roots, there's so many as so many people do, I wouldn't choose uh, some finely, fine-textured charcoal. There's a brand out there called Norit, N-O-R-I-T, or in small quantities, you can probably go to an aquarium shop. I might experiment with doing some repotting and incorporate a fair amount of uh, charcoal in the potting mix and see if that uh, tends to get things back to a normal growth a little more quickly. I don't know whether it will or not, but it certainly wouldn't hurt anything. All righty. I will definitely pass that on. Thank you so much. Hey, it is always a pleasure. And uh, get back to me. Let me know how he does with them, Kim. I'll look forward to hearing from you. All right. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy, let's get our last break out of the way, and then we'll probably finish the show up with Chris. How can you describe the selection at Just Pots? It's like if there was this huge international convention for pots and they all just decided to stay. Because at Just Pots, you can choose from over 40,000 pots from around the world. Every shape, size, color, and style you can imagine, all at great prices. Just Pots, a whole lot of pots in one convenient spot. Open every day on Redland Road, a quarter mile south of 1604 or at JustPots.com. Listen to this station anytime, anywhere on Odyssey. Odyssey is your new audio home for all the music, news, sports, and podcasts that matter to you. Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. 
The Festival of Flowers returns for its 23rd year, Saturday, June 3rd, at the San Antonio Shrine Auditorium. It's a full day of learning about gardening and landscape care from the experts, co-hosted by San Antonio Water System. And you can pick up a free water saver plant from Saws while supplies last. Shop the Festival of Flowers Indoor Garden Mall for plants, landscape materials, fertilizers, and garden accessories. Stop by the Herb Cooking Kitchen for some delicious treats. Enjoy seminars and the organic roundtable and a learn to garden zone just for kids plus swap your plants at the citywide plant exchange it's all happening at the festival of flowers admission is eight dollars kids under 10 are free plus lots of free parking the 23rd festival of flowers co-hosted by san antonio water system saturday june 3rd from 9 a.m to 5 p.m at the san antonio shrine auditorium exit stone oak parkway festival of flowers Hey, it's Trey Ware here for Diamond Decks of San Antonio. Diamond Decks TX. Hey, we can stay outside most of the year down here, right? We can enjoy it during the summer months and stay nice and cool outside with a Diamond Deck deck. Or we can do it during the winter, enjoying a nice hot cup of coffee or whatever your beverage of choice is. They do custom decks and composite decks and composite decks with treks and timber tech. They do kitchens and patios and pergolas and arbors. They do patio covers and Renaissance patio products. They do room enclosures and screen enclosures and stamp concrete and so much more at diamond decks all with the professionalism that you're looking for we like to be outside in this part of the country it's called outdoor living but you like to be comfortable and have a beautiful space that adds to the value of your home right well log on to the website right now diamonddeckstx.com because seeing truly is believing and then contact diamond decks for a free in-home evaluation that's diamonddeckstx.com whether it's at your house or ours, Magnolia Pancake House takes care of all your catering needs. From our famous pancakes made on site to our online ordering for a quick pickup, we can customize your order to exactly what you need. You'll find us at magnoliapancakehouse.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on this beautiful weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend. It just doesn't get a lot prettier than uh, what the weather's going to be out there today. You're going to get a little warm this afternoon, so probably want to do your heavier work and your hole digging this morning and things, but uh, sure hope you're planning to get outside and remind you that uh, if you've got a landscape project going on, uh, shrubs, trees, ground covers, uh, all that stuff is uh, free from sales tax uh, this weekend only, uh, along with mulches, compost, potting soils, all that sort of thing. And uh, anytime you can save some money on it, it might be a good time to kind of stock up on things. Uh, let's talk to Chris. Uh, good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I got, I got four questions. Okay. Uh, one is they, is they call, I was given a candlestick. Empress candle, yeah, Empress candlestick, yes. They, they, the leaves fold up at night, open up in the morning. Right. When do they start blooming? Uh, when it gets hot. Typically, it's around the 1st of July when they really come into full bloom. Uh, it depends on the year, but uh, midsummer, then they go all the way up until freezing weather. They make a lot of seed. Be sure that you collect some of the seed because... Uh, you know, nine years out of ten, they will freeze and die in the winter months. They are an annual cassia, C-A-S-S-I-A is the genus on that. But uh, they sure grow easily from seed. And, uh, 
you're looking at a plant it's probably going to get six or eight feet tall but uh really pretty plant uh loves the sun uh very few problems in empress candlestick okay so mine's in a they gave it to me in a pot and the pot's like 14 inches by uh 12 inches in diameter so you, should i you, put it in a bigger pot it's like six foot tall right now yeah i'd i'd probably leave it in that size or plant it in the ground uh, if you have a place to plant it, they're easier to maintain in the ground. But uh, yeah. it's, you're not going to accomplish much putting it into a pot that you can't move around because it'll be too heavy. But as uh, long yeah. as you can keep it watered, you're fine in the in a pot or in the ground either way. Okay. All right, next one is uh, ghost peppers. I've had a whole bunch of peppers, and my ghost peppers, they're in a five-gallon bucket, and there's three of them. And I water them every two to three days, and all of a sudden they started turning yellow on me. And, and drooping and, and like they're, they're dead. And all my other peppers are going good except my ghost peppers. How often are you fertilizing and what are you using? Uh, has to grow uh, plants and then also use the, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, fertilizer, nature's creation. Okay. I would probably, I'd, I'd cut down on the dry fertilizer and on your watering, be certain that when you water, you really, really flutter. These these are in pots. They're not in the ground. They're in pots. In uh, five-gallon buckets. Okay. Um, it sounds yeah, water to me. Like yeah. I would, uh, of course, in watering, water very, very thoroughly, but let them get a little drier. It's unusual that the ghost peppers would be the only ones affected but what you're describing is very typical where the plants uh, just have uh, have stayed too waterlogged. Water doesn't hurt anything, but when water drives the oxygen out of the soil, that's when your roots suffer. And it may be the ghost peppers are just a little bit more susceptible to that problem. I would uh, I, I'd let them get good and dry between waterings. I'd probably use a little Super Thrive, maybe a little Garrett juice. Might even uh, give a little uh, foliar spray, uh, and if anything, will bring them back that well. Just remember, there's no such thing as too much water, but there really is too often. And often. it sounds to me like they've just, at some point, they've stayed a little too wet, which, like I say, it's not the water. It's, it's driving all the oxygen out of the soil that's caused the problem. Okay. All right. And uh, the third question is worms on my front patio, my driveway. They look like earthworms are all the same size, but every morning there's earthworm or some type of worm on my patio and driveway. And, and they're, they're, they're and they're segmented, uh, just the regular kind of. Uh, they, they look like color. it, but they're really sticky. They're yep. really sticky when you when you touch them, they stick onto you. But you know, but they're they're on my driveway and, pat, uh, and patio every morning. They probably, yeah. it's, it's the result of the rains. It literally is just, they probably are earthworms that have just simply been forced up out of the ground because the ground is so wet. And, uh, yes, they cover themselves with kind of a mucus material. I just, you know, would shovel them up as best you can, throw them back out in the yard. But they, a lot of them just somehow commit suicide. They just come up and get on the driveway, get on the porch. And it's the uh, one of the downsides of the good rains that we've had recently. I mean, because they're all the same size, about an inch and a quarter long. They're all the same size. That's what uh, gets me. They're all the same size. 
and probably just in effect a hatching of them. They do make, you know, earthworms do lay eggs, and this is the time of year they start reproducing. So uh, I think it's weather-related. Okay. All righty. And the fourth question is I have a um, mountain laurel that has three branches at the bottom. I know it's uh-huh. planted too deep. How deep do I go to get that out? Because I just heard you all about the mountain laurels, and I said, oh, I got just, one of three branches. Yeah. Just so. just pull the soil back away to where you see the major roots flaring out from the base. You don't, you know, you're not excavating it. You're, you're basically, what you want to have is air circulation, Anything above the point where your major roots come out, you want good air circulating around the trunk of the plant. So hopefully you won't have to pull too much away, and you can probably just leave sort of a saucer-like depression around the plant, and it'll do just fine. So nothing real, real major. Just get down to where the uh, the trunks, and, and this goes for all trees, but especially mountain laurels would be a, a, a good example of a tree that's going to suffer if it stays too deep. So... Um, okay. Just use whatever simple tool you can. Uh, one of the arborists I know uses old hay hooks and things like that to pull the soil back away. Okay. All right. I appreciate it, sir. You have a good well, day with you. You do the same. Good questions, and I appreciate the call, Chris. Thank you, sir. Thank you.